That's right. And this is the, oh my gosh, we got a date for Vegas to actually turn the neon back on, but it's too long from now. It's a week from now. It's too long edition. <laughs> Steve Fezzik with us. We've got a jam-packed show. This is going to be a power hour type go, go, go. And hopefully Fezzik doesn't say anything interesting that I want to, about his personal life because I can't resist. But, you know, Steve, let's be candid. You give a lot of great info, but the interesting is a hit or miss. And fortunately, I've got a lot of great betting information, so we can avoid the hit and miss stuff. And we got best bets coming up from multiple people. The hitman, I think. Is that right, McKenzie? Yes. That's right. All right. Well, listen, we want to get him a little bit of mic time so he feels good about it at the beginning, (laughs) this guy. All right, Steve, let's start the onside kick rule. I'm probably going to be otherwise contrary to you here, so you take it. All right, it's 105 degrees in Vegas, RJ, and I got to be honest, I am sweating right now in the studio because this rule could wipe out one of my more advantageous bets, namely teaser bets. I think if this rule gets adopted, this could be an advantage teaser killer because of the extra. Wow, now I can't even guess why that would be because my thought is you're mostly playing dogs with teasers. And thus, if you have a dog, okay, I'm seeing it now. So they go for it more often, and then the other team punches in a score. Exactly right. Uh-huh. So let's let's go ahead and use a scenario. Let's say a team's up uh, 13 at the end of the game, and the underdog comes down, scores a touchdown, cuts the lead to six with two minutes to go. Now, we all know your teasers are pretty much exclusively plus seven and a half, plus eight, or plus eight and a half. Or maybe you tease the favorite just to Except win the game. Except you don't really do that unless there's only one of those and you want to give a teaser. But you don't bet it like near as much. Yeah, not nearly as much as the dog, right? So if you got the dog plus eight on a teaser, you are sitting fat. There's two minutes to go. You're like, eh. They can kick it off. Uh, no, I think get to the point. I think we all get it. Yeah. So, uh-oh, now they're going to go for it, fourth and 15 from their own 25. And if they fail, RJ, their opponent is already in field goal range, and we are going to see some nightmare last-minute field goals that are going to make teams, instead of winning by six, win by nine. And I think there's another factor that adds to your point, which is – Let's say they go for it. Let's say that the quarterback's about to get sacked. When it's the last play of the game, what do teams do? They lateral. I like where you're going. Go ahead. Well, you don't like where I'm going, right? Yeah, I, I don't. Mean, it seems like just the chance of one of those late touchdowns. Because it's what, you know, if there's 20 seconds, you know, if the team can run out the clock, they're going to run out the clock. What you're saying is because the percentages are more advantageous for going for it here. And we'll go over those percentages. But because they are more advantageous, teams might go for it with six minutes. You know, in certain spots, they wouldn't have otherwise. And now the game's not over yet, so the other team's going to kick a field goal, right? they got to do something after they, if they go into the line three times or, you know, boom, 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 gain six yards in that, and now they kick the field goal. And I'm saying even at times when there's 20 seconds left, Lateral, you know, it's going to be just wild plays. Northwestern, Ohio State, all over again, where, hey, you got nothing to lose. Just keep chucking the ball backwards. And you brought up a great point. There's going to be so many cases. Say there's two and a half minutes left, and you got two timeouts left. 
normally you'd kick off because you don't want to try that onside kick. It only succeeds a little more than one out of ten times. But, hey, with this fourth and 15, with a higher chance of making it, all of a sudden it's not going to be a a matter of you're going to see more of these attempts than you saw onside kicks. So I also feel like the people have figured out these teams, the metagame of, hey, if you go down with the ball – on, on, on at the end of the game, it doesn't you know benefit you at all. So I've seen more return touchdown types. You know, uh, you're talking Ohio State Northwest, but I'm saying I felt like the, the the number of those went up significantly in the last year or two in the NFL. Yeah, I, mean, I, I don't agree. have any numbers on that. It just feels like I, I'm seeing more at the end because I always used to worry about it if it, that would have killed me, and it just never seemed to happen. And it just seems like that it's just more in play lately. I don't know. And it, which really makes sense, right? Because it is, if all you care about is winning the game, it is the best play. Whatever the chances are, if it's greater than zero, throw the ball up behind your head, you know, rather than go down and lose 100%. Yeah, why not? And, you know, there, there's so many extremes that this could present. RJ, what if you're down six and your opponent's driving? Why not just let them score? Let them go up. You know, 12 or 14, you get the ball back with two minutes to play, you're in play. You got a chance. But but that that's, I mean, are there times you think, because in general, the, the meta, the smart people on Twitter, the people like you, that like to always talk about game management at the end and act like that's the ultimate of a coach, though somehow Andy Reid, on any list it seems, is in the top I'm not sure I've seen a list where he's not in the top three. I think everyone's putting him two now, right? Yeah. So, and I mean, the reality is if three years ago, four years ago, we would ask you about Andy Reid, you would have spent, and if I would have said, hey, unlimited time, Fez, just speak to your heart's content, you would have spoke like 14 minutes about, uh, you know, something that happened six years ago in Philadelphia where he should have went for two and he didn't, and you would have made him out to be a bad coach. Yeah, bad use of timeouts. No, 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 no. You would have made him out to be a bad coach. Yes. And in truth, all the people that really know think he's a top three coach. Do you see maybe the flaw in your thinking? Well, I should describe Andy Reid as not being very good at clock management, but that's like 5% of a coach's job. But that seems to be what you talk about until I forbade it nonstop. Well, that's what I'm good at. I'm not good at the other 95%. But that doesn't mean it takes on added significance. Yes. But somehow to you it does. Yes. (laughs) Therein lies a lot of self-reflection. I'm reflecting. (laughs) All right. So I think it gets more negative, actually, because I haven't thought this all the way through. We haven't discussed this yet. I mean, this is just as bad for a team that's plus eight just normally. Right? Yeah. Yeah, same thing. You're just saying you're, you're going to be in that corridor more often because of teasers. But if you're getting more in a touchdown, it's putting you in a danger zone, it seems like. Uh, you know, let's say between... You know, and though, though it varies but, uh, based upon what the score was and all that, but generally underdogs from seven and a half, well, I mean, I guess in theory, any underdog, right? Because if you sc- score late and you got an onside kick and you're up three or the other team's up three and you're plus four and a half, you're in danger, yep. right? So all dogs. There's a, all dogs. There's the danger. You know, it, it, what's interesting, it's hard for me to wrap my hands around this. I also think 
it gives the underdog, a big underdog, a better chance of winning the game, though. I think you're – in fact, you're certainly right, right? So, to me, it's it, it, what it's doing – is it's making uh, you probably slightly more inclined if the prices don't change to play the money line on the dog. And then it's making you less inclined to play the money line on the favorite and because you're going to cover spreads you're not supposed to. Yes. And that doesn't help me hardly at all. Because, I mean, just generally you don't play money lines on the dogs because of – explain – yeah, just because the bid ask, the difference between what you're laying and you're taking is too high because you'll typically see like a minus 380. The take back will only be plus 380 cents straddle. Now, like quasi-math guys, and, and sometimes I don't get a great feel for this either, so I'll call myself a quasi-math guy, is the idea of if you actually do the math on that straddle – Oftentimes it's less than, you know, the, you know, less than 5%, less than the 11 to 10. So even whatever the numbers say, if the math is telling you that the um, hold is, you know, 4%, why is that a bad thing? You know, it's a complicated mathematical exercise. Is that that code for you saying you don't quite know either? Well, let me give an example. You could have a bookmaker could offer odds of will meteorite strike. Yeah, no, no, no. I totally understand. I I get it more when it's the whole kind of, you know, minus two or you know, two hundred wins you a dollar and you take back forty. I I, right. I get That's that. That's the example I was going to use. And and clearly there's no edge there, but the household's only you know less than four point five four percent. And I think now I'm refl- reflecting back. I think that about six months ago probably we had this conversation. You said you were going to research it during. The off season, and now that I think it really explained it to us, and now I would think, huh? Let me think. He hasn't had a lot of games lately. He's hardly left the house. That man, he's got to have a, a little, a little mini dissertation on this. How are we coming, Mackenzie? I'm committing to Monday to have this done, or I'm going to donate a thousand dollars to charity. Make sure I don't have to give a donation. <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah, I didn't understand. I thought you were going to throw me a couple bucks if, I just, if you didn't do what I was supposed I, to do. I, I need, clearly, I need a deadline, so I'll have it done by but, Monday. Okay, but what would McKenzie have to do with any of he's it? He's a good reminder. Okay. Like a wa- <laughs> he's like a watch to you. You pay, I mean, like, I mean, again, you pay him for all the extra work he does, like 300 every six months, so you could buy a watch or pay McKenzie, like a cheap watch. I think of myself as more like an Amazon Echo, something like that. <laughs> Well, you do talk a lot. All right. <laughs> Nobody likes when I talk. You know, I guess, RJ, we, we probably should define what the proposed new rule is that in, in lieu of an, a kickoff, you can elect to go for it up to two times a game, only during regulation time. Can't do this in overtime, where you go for it and you need to convert well, well, let's think about that. When would that be in overtime? Oh, so if you kick a field goal... Well, you, they should let you. Why would they stop you from doing it in overtime? I, I can only think if you're playing like Madden or something where you can't stop anybody. Yeah. But I don't know. If you can't stop anyone, they would have scored a touchdown and the game's over. I guess on the opening kickoff, you would go ahead and, and attempt this. What are you talking about? You Instead of kicking off originally. Yes. Oh, so it wouldn't be after a score. Okay. Yes. Well, that makes sense. But I think other than that, they should let them. <laughs> yes. Because really, this, I mean, think about it, right? The spot would be there's a field goal of the team that got the ball. So the, it continues. And the team that got the ball said, no, we're going for it. <laughs> that would be exciting. Right? Yeah. And I, I mean, theoretically, if you had an offense that could not be stopped, it would be the right thing to do. But, but it's never in practice. But it could the, ever happen. Yeah. So theoretically, 
when you give an if then that isn't the if theoretically if the moon rotated the earth i mean like who cares there you go it's not happening all right um now what i had heard was and we were struggling and and generally research did a good job this week we were struggling to get some facts here fez somehow got involved and i think that was a mistake i hope you see where are we at with the facts regarding the two time a game limit i understand what about that i had heard that you have to be behind you no longer have to be behind it's been clarified you can do this whenever you want i don't understand any time you would want to do it if tied or ahead though theoretically oh okay so mckenzie you agree with that yes let's think about what you said is if you are ahead why would you ever want to do this and this would be very similar to because the theory is if there's like a minute 30 left and you're up by two or one, all right? So if you get the ball, you can kneel out. If you don't get the ball, the other team just needs a field goal. So that's going to be the extreme case, right? Yes. And this would be similar to when uh, Belichick went for it against Peyton Manning uh, with Brady fourth and three, you remember. And the rationale was, hey, we kick it, he's going to get – and I don't know if they need – I don't remember if it was a field goal or not. They need. I think they need a touchdown there, actually. So, Fess, something else I'm thinking about is the situation when the teams are going to be facing this. And this is a, something I've heard from a few people, but you're going to do this after you scored. If it's late in the game, that means that you probably scored – uh, on a drive greater than one or two plays, right? So, you know, sometimes it'll be a big play, but oftentimes late in games, especially when a team's up by two scores, they're going to play like a prevent, right? Yes. And what we see is, and not that prevent's the way it used to be, but still, is what we see is, is that that team gets tired. And it strikes me on this fourth and 15, whatever the numbers have been historically, and we'll get into that, is it? I think it's going to be higher in this case because not every fourth down and 15 will be a time when they're willing to throw the ball over their head kind of thing, though most, I guess, would be. When else are you going for it on fourth and 15? But, I mean, I guess you could go through it on fourth and 15 if you're on, like, the 38, you know, and you don't want to kick that, like, you know, but... Bad weather situations, yeah. You know, I mean, not kicking the field goal. Yeah. Right. Or whatever. Some stadiums just have tougher field goal. Or just move it out five yards. But there's a point where it's tough to punt. It's, you know. And maybe the end of halves, but and you're not going to throw the ball. You know, but you know what I'm saying. So usually it's going to be about one-to-one there. But I think the fact that you're going to have tired defenses by almost definition, and then you add in the fact that, if you make it, now that defense is extra tired, they're right back on the field, and whatever chance you have to actually score the second time goes up. Yeah, I think great points. And a third point I want to add to that, well, so it makes sense. Okay. You just drove against the defense. They're tired. The defense didn't stop you. You scored, and now you get to face that same tired defense. So all things being equal, it's more likely that you're going to be successful than an average 4th and 15. And think about a typical 4th and 15, RJ. Typically, you have 4th and 15. Why? Because the defense is outplaying the offense. The defense has won the series. They have stopped the offense on three downs. 
That's not the case on this fourth and 15. Well, but we you don't know. I mean, for three downs, yeah, but it could have been you drove, drove 70 yards and stopped on three. But what you're saying is that you know for sure that before that fourth and 15 play, that there's been three plays that's come up to be a net negative. Yes. And that's whatever the trend, no matter if they had traveled, uh, gained 60-some yards or whatever, before that point, it's still last three plays have been a net negative. Yes. That's interesting. I hadn't thought of that. And think about it, if you bet on a team and – they have first and 10, and then you're like, it's their fourth and 15. It's almost always because they got sacked or they had a penalty, and you're just like, Well, it's always going to be God. one of those things, right? Yeah, this team yeah, is some like, loss. You're like, What's the chance they're going to convert this fourth and 15? Not as good as just a random fourth and 15, typically. All right, so let's look at the numbers. McKenzie headed this up, so we'll let him share. McKenzie, what numbers do we have? And, and give us the time ranges and such that we're talking about. So the last two years, since the rule change on the onside kick, onside kicks have been recovered about 12% of the time. Now compare that to over the last five years. Now hold on a second. So how's the split between surprise onside kicks and expected onside kicks? That's a really good question, RJ, and I wish I had the answer. Okay, so I I think maybe from here you should put your head down, research that, and give Fezzik a wave when you're ready. And then when he thinks it's appropriate, we'll bring you back in with the information. Sound good? Yep, I'm on it. Okay, cool. Um, Fez, you agree that that difference of the surprise is the key here, right? Oh, absolutely. I think that surprise onside kicks get recovered, you know, it could even be more than half the time, RJ. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've seen some numbers on it. There's probably a bet here if I would have went about it a different way. What's interesting is, you're right. Oh, Mackenzie is giving me the wave. Oh, my gosh. That was fast. Boy, that was easy, wasn't it? Huh. Okay. Continue. So take that number I just gave you and cut it in half. Surprise onside kicks are only recovered about 6% of the time since the start of 2018. So the last two years. All right. So now, and the number on the 4th and 15s is? Last, Last five years, 25%. Okay, so the question is, how much do we assume we're going to increase because of the factors of fatigue and all that? I mean, Faz, I've got to say it increases. So if it increases uh, 20%, that would bring you to 30, right? Yeah, you know, that number seems so high to me. Doesn't that number seem high to you, RJ, 25%? Think about... I want to confirm that no, number. No, no, no. I trust that number. Okay. Because think about it. Imagine, a, you know, an average quarterback dropping back. I mean, how many times in a long drive, you know, when you got that drive at the end of the game, you really think it's a lot less than one in three times? You know, I did. No, you, listen, your instincts are better than mine. You What's, know what it is? I'm probably thinking about third and 15, and obviously the difference is that any quarterback that's worth his, his what you're paying him is going to chuck it up for grabs on fourth down. Yeah, and plus you're, you're going to throw short of the sticks a lot less too. Yeah, so. that's a great point. You can say, hey, pick up 12 on third and 15, and then we can get it. Yep. Or it's, hey, we pump, right. but my stats look good. You know, I mean, so it, it can be a field position game even in the modern and year. And any penalty is going to get it. To, okay, I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah. So would you agree that at least a 5% bump for the fatigue factor? Yes. So we're saying we're going from 6% of the time 
to 30% of the time. So five times as often the team's going to get the ball back. Staggering. Yeah. Almost hope you're in an almost hopeless situation to all of a sudden 30%. Wow. That's like an ace eight against the pocket queens. And and then obviously the team's got to score, but like we said, the fatigue factor there, so it helps them, you know, there a little bit too. If I can convert a fourth and fifteen, and now I got first and ten on on my forty, I'm feeling confident. Mm. So in general, let's repeat what we're saying: is all dogs are going to suffer, um, all favorites are going to benefit, and I don't. <laughs> I mean, it's one of those things that you got to play dogs generally. Boy, I don't like this. I'm kind of in a bad mood now because of this. I didn't really think it all the way through. You know, what I didn't like about it originally was two things. One, I think, and we talked about this in Straight Out of Vegas, how much luck is there in a game? And, and we've talked about poker and Hold'em and all that. We'll talk about you and McKenzie's at the end of the show, the uh, update there. But heads up. But the idea, and I apologize, I actually got to sniff. It's funny, last week I had a, my stomach was churning, and, and then just I woke up today with the sniffles. Maybe my mind's thinking of the coronavirus, and I'm like, you know, getting psychosomatic w- with it or something. Though I do have, sn- like, uh, water running out of my left eye, so I'm not sure that's psychosomatic. But <laughs> is the, uh, I, I feel like that, there's enough luck in the NFL. I mean, if anything, you look at the 13 and three Green Bay, you look at the eight and eight Cowboys, and you say, man, even at the end of the year, we don't know how good these teams were. I think to whatever degree we knew before, we know less now because you're going to have teams win games they wouldn't have won in other situations. And that's nothing but increased variance, right? Yeah, There's no absolutely. great skill and- to that fourth and 15 play because. Whatever skill there is there is skill. It's not like there's going to be teams that are extra good at that play and not typically good. So it's not like you can, you know, I guess you'd practice that play more on. That's interesting. Probably makes the third and 15s and the other fourth and 15s increase. Because like all you're doing is practicing that if there's one play, figure, figure out me out a way to get 16 yards, right? Yeah, well, not all you're doing, but it would yeah. be like the two-point conversion. Right. It will become a specialty play that there, there will be – teams will probably have five or six plays just for that situation to choose What from. makes you say – like something like, well, all you're doing, like, you know, that's not true. Why do you say that? Like, yeah, what is it? What, no, I no, I understand. no, no, no. But that's your style. Like, I'm just under, like, what are you thinking? Like, I'm, I'm going to try to exaggerate as much as I can to make a point. No, I like the way you said it. It will become like a two point conversion type of play that you'll prepare for. Yeah. I know that you like my way better. I'm still trying to ask you why you do that. I don't know. You don't know? I think it's because before you met me, you were like a carnival barker. Prone type. to exaggeration, I was. I, thi- I think so. I think So we could say literally in your late 40s and 50s, you had to meet a guy to grow up a little bit and actually teach you some humility. I think that that is well, well said. <laughs> and think about it. You rest your life forgetting all the other benefits. You're going to benefit. Just tell the truth. I'm betting your marriage has improved because of me. Just tell the truth. <laughs> I'm RJ Bell. That's Steve Fezzik. He's older than me. Much. Uh, wow. Well, some. All right. So you're in good shape for your age. I give you credit. I mean, in all seriousness, it's funny because you think you'd be kind of nerdy. I mean, in most handicappers and you are nerdy in your own way, but most handicappers, you know, I didn't know you before your wife. Your wife's like a fit gal. 
did were you pudgier before? Always been right around two twenty. So like you're no different. Like your weight's pretty, but you're like six. How tall are you? Six foot half inch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So and with your hair, you're six four. Oh, like tower, Yes. <laughs> like, like when you actually weigh, measure your height, you don't count your pompadour, do you? <laughs> I don't. Okay, so you would be like six four. You remember that Hollywood, Flatch? Yeah, I don't remember the quote, but... Oh, my gosh. It's like, Fletch is falling asleep. And, uh, you know, I've got... It's funny. I've got the sound on this, but I can't clean it up enough to make it playable. And I've I've tried a couple times. But he, he falls asleep, and he acts like he's... Or, and he's dreaming he's with the Lakers, right? So this is set in L.A. in, like, the late 80s. And uh, they got... um What was it? Uh, Chick Hearn, right? So Chick Hearn was there. And he's like... And they were talking to Kareem first. And it's like... Cream, another great day, you know, blah, blah, blah. He goes, but I tell you, what about Fletch? And then, <laughs> and then it, and Cream says, I tell you, he's been the guy that's brought our team together. And then Chick Hearn comes in and goes, um, <laughs> he goes, he's 6'1", 6'6", with the afro. <laughs> that's like the comment. And it's like, he's so unselfish. Now, he, yep, he makes $2 million a year, it's true, but he does the small stuff. I mean, it's one of the great... Little two minutes. If you haven't seen it, YouTube, Fletch, Lakers, whatever, F-L-E-T-C-H, Chevy Chase is Fletch. It's great. It's great. <laughs> All right. So Fez is six, and a, six foot and a half inch and six five with the pompadour. Yes. That's about right, I think. All right. Let's move to the next topic. Wait, wait, wait. I got one more on this real oh, quick. Oh, go. We might get some opportunity betting first half and second half totals, RJ, because I think we're going to see upwards of an extra point scored per game. So be clear. You're saying an extra one point per game, 1.0, okay? If, yes, with this rule, the fourth and 15, and all of that scoring is going to be in the second half and the fourth quarter. Hmm. So one point doesn't mean a ton generally. You know, it's like it's hard to say you're going to bet a bunch of overs, but but an odds maker, if a total in an NFL game is forty, and he typically just divides by two, makes the first half twenty, the second half twenty, all things being equal, hey, I like first half under, I like second half over. Now we ex- kind of found out as we were digging into some of this quarter bat and half batting is that there's certain points where the, the books are um, very mechanical about it, right? Yes. And that there's, a, you know, a sweet spot there. We add this in, we should call these like double whammies or something, where it's like we're getting a point, a point and a half because of the, the mechanics of the math, and they're just not thinking beyond that. And now it's also, you know, obviously it would be an over- in the first half, or I guess. Now, would we be just inclined to play unders in the first half? More inclined to play unders first half. I'm saying more inclined to play unders first half than playing overs first half, but I'm saying unders first half versus over second half. Both would be equally good if they just divide by two. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. So what I'm saying is based upon what you're saying is the type of vulnerability we try to exploit, 
is yes, a bookmaker just following what what their algorithm is. If a team, if there's a total of forty eight, and this is how they're going to set the quarters in the first half and the second half. An yes. algorithm is a grand word for like some very basic arithmetic. Yes, uh, you know a the, chart. Yeah, yeah. So I don't want to scare anyone. They're doing algorithms because you know in game batting is algorithmic, <laughs> algo based. But the fact is these aren't. So what we're saying is if the math of it beyond this uh, overtime rule issue told us, oh, advantage under first half, now it becomes a double whammy. You following? Yes. And then over in the second, double whammy. So I think what we do is throughout the season – we start giving away the double whammies. I think there might be, let's say, two or three a month, I'm guessing. We give it away right on the pot until the line starts moving, and then we put it behind some paywall. I mean, that's all you can do, right? Yes. You can't. I mean, I'm happy to give stuff out until I'm starting to get screwed on the numbers, and then it's like, you know, I guess we could bet it. No, but a lot of these bets don't even come out till game day, right? I think the first half. What do you mean you co- think? You know. I think it's Thursday, Friday, the first halves come out, and then, and then the quarters come out typically the on Saturday night, yeah, game day on a lot of books, right? All right. So, yeah, we'll figure it out. But let's just say this. Until I start feeling pain, I think we plan on giving the double whammy, like, you know, a couple double, double whammies a month. I like it. And, again, I only think there's going to be a couple of them, but I think we'll give all of them. These aren't going to be any handicap. It's going to be all situational. So give us an example of, real quick, of uh, an example of without regard to the overtime rule where the way they do the simple math gives us an edge. You have a total at 39 and a half. And as an odds maker, you have to set the first half line. Well, you take the 39 and a half, you divide by two. 19 and three quarters, eh, round it up to 20. But the mistake there is that that 20 hits so often in the first half, a little bit under 10% of the time, that if you can get under 20 in the first half for a game line to 39.5, that's typically a very strong play. Now, that's interesting because wouldn't the reverse also be strong at 19.5? It would not, and the reason being is Well, because that's the highest total it could be. Oh, I'm sorry, you're right. The, the I'm sorry. Is the example would be like 17 and a half then? So, like, if and again, we this is an example, there's not a ton of these these days, obviously. But an example is if you had a total, let's say, at um, let's think about the 17, like at 36, right? And what's going to be the first half total? So, you know, 17, you know, 17 and a half, right? Or something like that. Yes. So, in theory, then do you want to look on overs on those? Typically, you don't want to play first-half overs on very low-totaled games. You would much more look to play a first-half over, say, if it was— All right, so so let's get away. Again, this is where you're a lot stronger than me at, so this is valuable, is there's going to— the key numbers back in the day were 37, 41, 44, and now everything's kind of moved up. Right, 44 used to be your higher totals in, in, in NFL. Now everything's moved up. Run through after 40. So you agree with me up to 44, right? Yes, and 51 is obviously... So a, nothing really great between 44 and 51? One second. 47 is very important. All right, so what I'm saying is we can probably find some of those corridors where they're going to come in 
at a number that goes underneath that because you're saying, you know, sometimes you're going to go over or sometimes the bookmaker is going to err towards the over, but sometimes he's going to be forced to err towards the under, right? Sure. And thus over will be the bet. Yes. And with the beauty of the first so half So give an betting, example of that. It, well, if you had a total at 47 and a half, all right, and, and you have to decide between 23 and a half and 24 for the first half, if you make it 23 and a half, usually the over 23 and a half would be very attractive in the first half. Because the theory is that if you just do the math of it, it's what the right number is, but there's, a t- there's such a key number that you're getting value. You know, it's almost like if uh, it's almost the same rationale as why advantage teasers are good is there's some mechanics that's giving you a key number, but it's not contemplating it's giving you a key number. Exactly. You've got these huge probability distribution um, density points on in the first half on 17, 20, and 24. But yes. there are times the bookie does that it's so extreme they do account for it. Like, yes. like with uh, Pick'em in the first quarter, for example. A great example where the difference between betting plus a half and betting pick'em is literally worth like 85 cents, I think, on a quarter bet. But if a team is favored by two, you're not going to get plus one or, or plus you know anything, really. You're going to get some money line on pick'em. Exactly. The bookmakers learned a two-point favorite cannot be a half-point favorite in the first quarter. Great example. Now, is this something where there was a – when was the last time there, there was, let's say, more than a, a crazy outlaw book that was just you know stuck in the old times? When's the last time that something like that first quarter you could bet, let's say, a third of the outs? Oh, it's been like 10 years. But even 10 years ago, you could have. Yes. No wonder you're working, kind of working now instead of just batting. I mean, it <laughs> that, was ain't, just, that ain't working. That was just clear. I mean, that was just. Yeah. Taking a half on a two-point dog, that ain't working. Ah, first there you go. A little dire straits. All right. Steve Fezzik with some good stuff. That's why we keep him around. Anything else on this? We are done with that. Next topic. I'm going to let you lead the show today. All right, I want to talk a little bit about one team's strength of schedule. So I, I'm going through and doing some more strength of schedule work, but this is fascinating to me. The New York Giants, RJ, by my numbers here, the Giants have gone last year. They had the, the easiest schedule in the NFL. Now, what, what, what methodology? What I did is I took the Giants' opponent's record last year. They went, their opponents went 120. So this is what, this is what hindsight then? This, this, no, I, I, their actual record was 121 and 135. That's what I'm saying. So with hindsight. Yes. Okay. But I said, wait a minute. I'm not going to use that because i got to take the games they played against the Giants out of the equation, right? Yeah. yeah. So when I take those games out, the Giants only won four games. So their opponents were bad, but when they weren't playing the Giants, their opponent, the Giants' opponents were really very bad. They only went 109 and 131. All right. So that translates to a So seven- what you're saying is on average, a significantly below average group of teams, and the Giants went 4-12 and 12 against them. Yes. Very well said. I love that. <laughs> now this year, I look at the Giants, and they – have the projected second hardest schedule in the NFL. So think about that. They go from the easiest schedule in the NFL. To I'm, the, I'm not sure you have to really repeat this one. I mean, they, they literally last year were playing seven win teams on average every week. And this year they got to play eight and a half win teams every week on average. Now this is making me want to, I'm going to threaten to pull out my luck factor sheet because 
two years ago, this thing was gold. And last year, I was so freaking busy, I never really got to it. And I actually had an admin doing it. I just never looked at it. That's really busy. So <laughs> it's kind of stupid, too. Okay, for me. But what it did was say, and I'm going by memory here, there was four luck factors I considered. And, and one was the, the, the delta, the difference in strength of schedule, between years, right? And there's two ways to do this. One is the preseason uh, version, and then that's valid through maybe week three or four or five, you know. And then you start having an in-season version. So, for example, you take a look at, instead of last year's schedule against this year's schedule, you take a look at the games you've played against the games that are coming up, mm. right? Yeah. And that difference, and I think the Patriots would have been a great example of that. A lot of people were talking about it, but they underperformed Strength of schedule-wise uh, was, I think, a driver of that early. You know, there ain't no record. Then you look at turnovers, and what we do is a very simple formula, which is, say, half of interceptions thrown are luck, right? So half are skill, half are luck, and everything else is pretty much luck with turnovers. Though I'm starting to think the certain types of blitzing and rushing causes more strip sacks, it causes more... Uh, errant throws, and thus you might have to f find, we might have to find a way to say, are you getting, uh, or teams getting enough pressure in a way that's causing these turnovers and maybe adjust for that 30% or something. Mm -hmm. But as of now, it's saying, let's say Tom Brady, let's just say for the sake of argument, um, Tom Brady typically, even last year, didn't throw a lot of interceptions. Aaron Rodgers does it. And then you got Winston. It's hard to say Winston and Brady should have – it's all luck that one's got three interceptions and one's got 30, right? Yeah, I don't think Brady's going to be throwing 30 picks. Exactly. Typically, I think if you say, let's just weight that by half, or another way to say it is – because, again, the way we do this is it's ranking, so it simplifies it a little bit. But in general, the, everything I was getting a double rank and I getting a half rank – at least smooths it out a little bit. Is there a better way to do it? Yeah, probably. All right. So if anyone's got an idea out of RJ in Vegas, I, what I don't want to do is go through and try to like eyeball test it though. I guess there's some advanced metrics these days that actually talk about like, um, and Mackenzie might remember this is it talks about literally like, um, true interceptions as in the, the interceptions, the other team makes that aren't your fault. They take them out, and the interceptions the other team should have made that they didn't, you know, stone hands, they put them in, and they say, hey, since they're grading every play, and that's current. Yeah, that might be the way to do it. You remember that stat, McKenzie? Yes, Pro Football Focus does a thing where they'd say, what's a turnover-prone play versus a turnover, and they correct for that. Okay, does that count fumbles too? No, just talking about quarterback interceptions. Okay. All right, so I might refine that a little bit, but in general, it's saying turnovers have a lot of luck to them, and thus, and and Steve, this is just handicapping 101, is if in week 10, week 11, week 12, you fade the teams with a, a big turnover differential advantage, and you play uh, on the teams with a big negative, 
you end up doing pretty well. Yeah, and it makes sense that, like you said, that's a team that the luck factor has gone against them year to date. And it's and frankly, that gets reflected in their final scores and their record. So a team that's minus 16 in turnovers usually is a team nobody wants to bet on. But a big reason for their failings was this turnover differential that at least part of that was can be explained just by bad luck. And we also add in injuries, and that's an interesting one. And Football Outsiders has good, you know, how many snaps did the starters miss? And, you know, to me, I'd rather wait it a little bit, at least with, let's say, two or three guys per team, right, where obviously, you know, a generic linebacker snap count miss um, doesn't mean as much uh, as your quarterback, right? So it might be worth in this time of the pandemic when there's more free time uh, or at least time to prep for football season to, to try to refine that a little bit too. And then finally, it is um, close wins because nothing affects a team's perception more than close wins and loss. Or it's right up there, I think. Dallas at 8-8, eight and eight, for example, Green Bay. And in general, if you say there's a team that's had a lot of close wins, that's benefited from turnovers, that hasn't had a, lo- a lot of injuries, but you know now they're injured, or last year they weren't injured, but now they are, or however the delta is, because in season it becomes about that. And then, uh, which one am I forgetting? Strength of schedule. The strength of schedule, man, oh man, you should see that when you take those factors and then we were stack ranking the teams, it was like we were looking at the freaking schedule. That like literally your luck number was your win number. And it almost makes you think almost all these teams are almost the same, which is what they is. You know, sometimes when you actually look at um, uh, other than Tom Brady Aaron, in his prime, Aaron Rodgers, you almost got to wonder if there's any correlation at all to any of this stuff other than that. Yeah, I think you're describing the 2018 Chicago Bears to a T, you know, from memory. Here's a team that went 12 and four, right? Cupcake schedule, got all the turnovers at a double-digit turn plus turnover differential. Won a lot of close games to get to twelve and four, and covered th- against the Patriots out home. <laughs> yes, and then they wound up uh, with the season win. You talk about all these teams being basically equal. So the Bears won eight games. They were just an average team, and their season win number was you know nine to nine and a half last year. And. But what I'm saying is beyond that. I'm not saying that when there's this amazing confluence of events that there ends up being um, a team that has more wins or less wins than they should. I'm saying almost every team, almost every one that was better than 500 had a positive luck number. Mm. And almost every team less than 500 had a negative luck number. I mean, it was insane how correlated it was. And maybe more insane that I didn't do it last year. I didn't really spend the time last year. And somehow we still, of all the hundreds and hundreds of people in the world that competed in the Super Contest Gold over two years, $5,000, and are the fifth best record, Faz, you and I. Yeah, well, we and, did. And Matty Holt helping for the, the first year. And, uh, you know, a little bit of last year, you know, I, I guess the first half or so. 
Go ahead. Yeah, sometimes you got so much on your plate. I'm going to put this one on my plate. I'm, I'm going to do. I will do the luck factor. No, 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 no. no. It's already done. Hmm. Meaning, I'll have my admin do it, and then if you want to tweak on it, that sounds good. S- sounds very good. One one housekeeping item, RJ. I, you you mentioned how weak New England's schedule was early in the year, mm-hmm. which was a great point. Get this: their three first three divisional games during that stretch of easy games, they got to play. Miami played Rosen. They got to play Buffalo, and they knocked out Allen, so they got Barkley in the second half. And then when, when they played the well, Jets— I don't think it was the second half. I think it was like maybe, but yeah, nine I think minutes like, left. Yeah, quarter, quarter and a half, and then they got no, to play no, the Jets. No, nine Jet- minutes left in the fourth. No, nah, it was in the third Check quarter. Check it, McKenzie. Go ahead. Third quarter. And the Jets and Falk. They got to play against Falk. So that, talk about an, an easy early season schedule, yes. You know who's good? Sam Darnold. He, I mean, because listen— <clears throat> He had uh, chicken pox, I think. Mono. Mono, yeah. And measles? I think he got it from Cousin Oliver. <laughs> so, Is that Brady Bunch? <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> maybe Potsy. But here's the thing. <laughs> Potsy Weber. <laughs> I know that you're supposed to be good by your second season. But you know who else this reminds me of? Tell o- me. Oliver Luck. Oh, no, not Oliver Luck. Oliver? Andrew Luck. Cousin Oliver. You know, he retired, never won anything, but he was good. Oh, so good. Remember that one year? Oh. His team was supposed to win four they won and a half playoff games. Game. Oh, go ahead. His rookie year, his team was supposed to win four and a half games. He's good. They won double digits. I, somehow, he never won anything since. What was the closest in, in a decade in the league? A, a, a team Peyton Manning literally just was 13-3 and three every year. Like, crazy. I, what was the closest that they ever... And I don't want to hear the AFC Championship game. I want to hear the margin of victory, or in this case, loss, in that game. Do you recall, Fez? I don't recall. I'm guessing that the closest he ever got was the AFC Championship game losing by 28 points. <laughs> I'm not joking. You think they were closer than that? Did he lose one 3-20 to 20 where he could do nothing in New England? I, I think that might have been in the division round. Mm. He, no, he did nothing. It wasn't like he was losing he did nothing. 55-31 either. He did nothing. It doesn't matter. doesn't matter. After a decade... You have to see. This is what bothers me to the point of like really bothers me, to the point I'd probably give up like ten percent of my lifetime earnings for everyone to get the comeuppance on this that deserves it. You can't sit and tell me how good someone is for for ten years, and then when he retires and leaves his team out to dry, make him out to be a hero, and tell how good he was. You can't. Because it was the perfect storm. If I would have sat the day he got drafted and all the John Elway, best sense Elway talk from all these know-nothing quasi-scouts. If you're a real scout, you're a scout. You're not talking on TV about it. I mean, Lordy B. And, and, and I'll make the full point. Is a guy who, you know, literally is grinding every second of every day, in-game batting and all that stuff, they're going to have deeper knowledge about things than me. Now, does that scout know more 
than stuff. They're going to have deeper knowledge about things than me. Now, does that scout know more than, you know, about a lot of the things day to day than me? I might understand some of the theory better, but the the guy who's at the NFL Network is a scout. He knows a lot more than the average fan. He knows a lot more than me about football. But he's not a scout. Those are the guys who are – he used to be maybe, but those are the guys who are judging the scouts. That's the funny part of all this, uh-huh. right, which we've talked about at length. But still, let's move on, is if I would have said – unless Andrew Luck really got hurt and knocked out, you know, you know, Gail Sayers style and only plays two years or whatever – I think he played like four and a half is what could be the worst case scenario for a guy that's getting this kind of love. And it would be, I mean, pretty much Andrew Luck's career. I mean, meaning I get it. There's Ryan leaf. There's, you know, but Ryan leaf wasn't considered to be Jamarcus Russell, the best in 30 years, right? Usually when they talk about those guys, they do pretty well. And, the, I would say that Andrew Luck, at minimum, was in the bottom 15% of possible outcomes of his career. What do you think? I think certainly after his rookie year, you could make that statement in terms of his projection. And i got to be candid with you. I, go back and double-check what the over-under win total was, because here's what I know. And, and Mackenzie, look this up. How many games did Peyton Manning win the year before the year he was out. Because I'm guessing it was, let me think, 11, 12, or 13. It was actually 10. 10. So, uh, the down, and what was it the year before? It was 14. The only time in the last five years before that it was below 12 was that last year before he got hurt. All right. So, my question is that behind New England, there's no team that has won this century like Peyton Manning's Colts. And the only other team that did was Peyton Manning's Denver Broncos for a short period of time, right? And we did a study we haven't came out with yet that is stunning when it comes to Manning and Brady and everyone else. Stunning. I'm not even sure. It might be the most stunning work we've done, wouldn't you say, McKenzie? Eye-popping. And I don't think anyone's really th- thought to even look at this. So it's going to really be a, like something I think that – you know, people will really enjoy to know. I, I don't think people will believe it. I mean, it's, until they look at it. It's almost unbelievable. And we're going to give it next week, actually. I just decided. All right. So, but what it shows is Manning win, went, won like no one's business except Tom Brady, who won like no one's business except Manning's. And no one else is in the universe. And we all know that, but it's, we don't know that really. Because Aaron Rodgers would be put in that category, kind of. This is a whole different thing. All right. Andrew Luck wasn't in that category. What was the most wins that team had? I guess my question is, when you win 10 games, and then and it's a team that's won more than that every year for four prior years. Now, I get, get, I get it. When you go back five years, you know, now you're starting to lose some people. O-line, it might change. But then when Peyton Manning leaves, and you have the number one pick in the draft. <laughs> All right, so think about it. Like, 14 wins, 12 wins, 13 wins, 12 wins, 10 wins. First pick in the draft. How good is that guy, first of all, when it's one guy being out? Then the next year, you win what, 11 games? That's right. How in the F, and I'll say one F word a show at most, could that team 
that had just won all of those, unless they thought Andrew Luck was going to be as bad as the quarterback. Like the worst teams are supposed to win how many games, Steve? Yeah, four and a half is usually the lowest season win number. And who was the quarterback for the Colts the year they had the number one pick? What am I thinking? Zolak or some Z name I'm thinking? Was it the guy from Wisconsin? Yeah, yeah, that guy. (laughs) McKenzie, get it. So the guy, Thorzine or something's his name or something. I don't know. Corzine something. DePaul, that's DePaul. I don't even know what you're talking about. DePaul. Dave Corzine. No, I'm not talking about DePaul. I haven't thought about DePaul since that coach that was bald that was on the Sports <laughs> Illustrated cover. What was his name? Meyer. Yes. That's the last time I thought of DePaul. Ron Meyer, I think his name was. The quarterbacks for the Colts that year were Curtis Palmer, Curtis Painter, Dan Orlovsky, and Kerry Collins. That dude that's acting all pompous on ESPN was one of the quarterbacks? He should just shut the F up, I think. <laughs> he he is like every time someone disagrees with him, he acts like like someone just like um is like 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 wiping their butt with the Gutenberg Bible or something. <laughs> I mean, it's like he really has an attitude. You ever see him? I know you don't watch a lot of things, but can you ever see that? Yeah, just today he was getting in it getting into it with Dominique Fox. I, I, would, I like, saw wow. that. Yeah, yeah. I really like well. It was like he was like pained yeah. that someone disagreed. I like when people disagree with it. I get to wipe the floor with them. Don't be pained, buddy. Do something about it. Do something with me. <laughs> that reminds me of Sipowitz. One time he was doing some stuff and, and uh, he was, yeah, <laughs> that could be the log line in TV Guide. Sipowitz is doing some stuff he ain't supposed to. <laughs> but the, the cops were mad at him because he was investigating another cop. And someone messed up his new car. He was so mad. He came in and they rode on the car like rat or something. He came in and goes, right on me, right on me. <laughs> like screaming <laughs> at him. <laughs> no one took him up on it. <laughs> so Orlasky, <laughs> who wasn't even the starting quarterback, right? He started some games because Kerry Collins got hurt. Oh, my gosh. Imagine being the guy that was backing up the guy that got the number one pick. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying he's not a smart guy. I don't know. And I don't, he doesn't strike me as particularly smart, to be honest. But, he, I'm not, you know, who knows? But, like, to sit there and act like you know. Now, I get it. You could say, I played the game. You haven't since high school. So, and I think there's a lot of validness to that. I do. Like, when a guy, you know, I, I talk about ESPN New York. During football, especially when I, um, you know, I do it every week throughout the whole year, but I do three hits during football. And one of them is with, um, oh, God, I got to know his name. Um, Canty, Chris Canty. And he's, you know, like a 6'6 type guy. He's been on FS1 too, but ESPN New York Midday with Dave Rothenberg. And, um, He'll say things like, you know, RJ, I, I actually think that motivational thing you're saying doesn't make him a lot of sense. And I'll stop the whole show and say, explain it to me. Because he's been in, he was played like 12 years, right? He was in the locker room. Those guys know things we don't. But I tell you, there's a lot of things we know they don't. So to me, that you got to try to aggregate that information for sure. But the stuff Orlowski, they're throwing stats around. And it's like, I can tell you, any debate show that isn't in the same room is a nightmare. 
Because when they're in the same room, they can interrupt each other. They can know when to interrupt. But when they're remote, ugh, it's unwatchable. It really, I mean, it's no show. I mean, Greeny's probably, the, to me, the best traffic cop there is, where he knows how to get in and out of segments like no one's business. And, I mean, I watch the show mostly to learn from Greeny. And I like the fact that show gets so many great guests, too. I mean, like every, they got like a guy standing by to do a little 40-second hit. I mean, that's a show that they're putting some power behind <clears throat> to get like Shafter up at six or seven fifteen in the morning. You know, I don't know. He, had to, I don't know if he sleeps, but you know, his and and to do like forty seconds on some injury that they could read his tweet and it'd be the same thing. So you know, that's great. But to make a long story short, Steve, how can you be the best quarterback since John Elway and replace Orlowski and company? And the and the win total not go, not go from being the worst team. Assuming that assumed they were going to be the worst team in the league. Yes. That that is the most. I don't think that's possibly true. How could that? How could you have? Like it would be like two. Uh, it'd be like. Imagine if the Steelers. If Big Ben retired, but the Steelers had had the success they had. And then in Big Ben's retirement year was last year. And first off, this doesn't even do it justice because Peyton Manning is two Big Bens. I mean, I love Big Ben, but come on. But imagine Pittsburgh had been what they've been, but they won maybe in the last prior five years, maybe like 10 more games. Like, I'm not joking. And then he retired and Pittsburgh got the number one pick. And they drafted the best quarterback in theory in the last 30 years. What the, would they be the worst team coming in? And how is it any different? Well, the, the Colts had that one year. How many games did they win? Like like maybe one or two? Yeah. Two, yeah. Yeah, just because they had such a horrible year. Because I, I hear what you're saying, RJ. I remember when Elway retired. What do retired. you mean? You're not making any sense. When Elway retired, I know the year after, the Denver season win number was something ridiculous, like nine. Well, because Without it was a quarterback. Well, remember, Elway or... Manning, at the end, was a below-average quarterback. I mean, that's what you kept saying that whole year. No, no, this was with Elway. When Elway— Oh, Jesus Christ. After Elway won the second Super Bowl. How do you remember that? Uh, I wrote an article for it in Blackjack Players Forum. Oh, wow. So you actually wrote something, so it was like uh, you still remember. Okay. All right. So, (laughs) But do you see what I'm saying? I mean, like, you're defending something that's indefensible. So follow me one more time. If you have a team that's as good as any team— in the last five years, and you have a great quarterback on that team. The quarterback's ripped from the team, and the team does very poorly. Then you replace that absence of the quarterback with the best quarterback in theory in 20-some years. You should make the playoffs. You're, you shouldn't be considered the worst team coming in the next year. Yes. So I don't think they were. I think you're, you misremember this. I'm very confident. So will you give me 50 to 1? And I'll let the win total be up to five and a half. Sure, I'll give you fifty to one. Fifty to what? So if the win total was six, and I bet you ten dollars, I win five hundred. Yes. All right. It's and let me get the bet straight that I want to bet. I'd like to take a, a cool dime, so we'll make it twenty. Twenty to win a thousand. It's a bet. All right. RJ, I was just looking at sports odds history. Do you guys want to know what they have for that for 2012? Yes. Five and a half. 
Well, that means there's some sixes out there is what that means. That means and opened, I just pushed, by the way. That means it opened four and a half, and all the money came in on the over. You know what it means is I just pushed on a 20-to-1 bet at worst. This is the ultimate free now, wait, roll. wait, wait. You're, you said it would be six. Yeah, when I does, said I would win a six. I said I'd give, it's five and a half. I said I'd give you, meaning I'm giving you the number of five and a half. You said it was four. Hey, hey, I gave you a point, a game and a half. At least I'm not going to get killed at Benihana's. I'm happy. Well, no, 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 no. That's one place. We're going to take a consensus. <laughs> you realize you're in a free, you're in a nightmare situation I'm here. I'm fine. Well, if you don't mind losing a thousand, you're fine. I'm That's fine. great. I love it. Just in the last second, I went from having nothing to having no chance of losing, and a thousand bucks is probably 30%. We're going to find uh, half sixes out there. I don't, I mean, <sighs> This is interesting. I'll probably spend $500 of admin time looking for it, though, so I'm not sure that would be... <laughs> yeah, don't spend your own time. You're going you're, you're to cost yourself $5,000 winning, <laughs> spending a few hours to win the 1000 I still think that number's crazy. It really is. Yeah. You make a great point. I mean, I don't even understand. I mean, I was there. It was a, I was in the middle of all... I don't... What I don't, were you doing? I guess I was, an Andrew, I was an Andrew Luck skeptic from the beginning, though. I just hate when everyone's on the same thing, it's usually wrong. Or it's usually not as right as people think it is. And I guess my ultimate point here is that that Andrew Luck, let's count his rookie year. All right? So he had one year of, of exceeded expectations. Then what? And, and, and where do you put him on the percentile of, like, here's the outcomes? It can't be better than 25%. Oh, now I think we're getting back down to your 15%. Yeah. Yeah, so From that uh, point forward. No, no, I'm saying that they count his first year, but then look at it as a 10-year career. I mean, because let's be candid, and let's be some real candid right now. Mark, you know, uh, butt fumble, Mark, <laughs> he, he, he could have, you know, he had two championships. He had more championship games than I think Andrew Luck. So I get, oh, right. he didn't really lead the team. It was all kind of rationales and shit. But it's like, how much worse do you get? I mean, I tell you this: counting a survivor bias, where he stayed in the year, in the league ten years, man, at the lower end of that, not many people. He's about as bad as a quarterback is that that sticks in the league as a starter for ten years. And I get every year it was the last year was because he hurt his big toe. And the year before <laughs> it was because the wind was blowing. I never saw a play. And I think at one point he had the measles. Oh, wait, that's Sam Darnold. Let's bring it back around. This is what this is shaping up to be. Lost his last two playoff games against the Patriots by an average of 29 points. This is what, and, and that means that he was, he got cracked. That means that, that Belichick looked at him a few times and said, this guy's like, like a, you know, one of these guys that was six round picks that can't throw to this part of the field. I know how to stop him. He got dominated. 45 to 7, 2014. <laughs> Think about that. And that's the last time he was in the playoffs? They went down to 8-8 eight eight the next two years. Oh, my God. He's good, though. But wait a minute. That's 14, 15, 16. How many years has he been retired? One. He did make the playoffs in 2018, and he also won comeback player of the year. Oh, that I year. bet he did. I bet he did. <laughs> right? Except no one would admit the year before there was anything to come back from. So what, what happened in the playoffs that year? They lost to the Chiefs 31-13 in the ah, division. That was competitive. <laughs> and the funny thing is, and I get it, there's a different, you know, front office now, right? But 
let's be candid. This is the front off. I, I've been looking at some of these lists, like best over 25 or uh, bet, best under 25 or 25 or under. I can't remember. But it's saying, you know, who's got a good young nucleus? Colts are right. Colts might have the best young, young nucleus. And, I mean, you know, we could t- tick off, you know, the different names, but I'm no expert even at that level of, you know, reading, I, you know. But what I'm saying is they've got as many. In fact, do me a favor, Mackenzie. CBS Sports had this. I just looked at it a couple days ago, and I didn't read it all the way through. I, I bookmarked it to read. But if you read the actual preamble, they actually tell you who's got what. And uh, it'd be nice to hear that. This is interesting. So just tell me when you got that. All right. So I see the same thing with Darnold is rookie year. Well, this and then as I, it, it would be so funny to actually write down everything that the excuse makers say, because it's everything. It's he had measles. Right. It's uh, or mono. It's a. <laughs> chicken pox, something a kid is supposed to have. Then it's like, well, you can't count against Belichick. Like, you know, because he shut, you know, he just came back. He was weak in state. So now he's actually, if he plays, you're not going to count it. But then if you count the last six games, don't count his stats because they weren't all that good. But actually look at the number of wins. So it's like, it's like this convoluted. And then, but they had a horrible team. So imagine if they had some, even though Le'Veon Bell isn't a good player, apparently, right? Maybe he's not a good player with Sam Darnold because they can <laughs> stack the line. I don't, I don't, I really want to see this scenario that Sam Darnold takes any heat in the media. I don't understand how these people, I get with Andrew Luck, everyone wanted to be Andrew Luck in a way. You know, he was a golden boy, went to Stanford. Sam Darnold didn't really have that good of a, a career at USC. Like, I don't understand. He's not like a great-looking kid. I mean, you know, I'm not I'm saying he's not Jimmy G. He's not a, you know, he's not on G, Sanchez on GQ, right? So if you're not great-looking, if, if you don't have some storybook life, why does everyone in the media love Sam Darnold? New York. Uh, if anything, New York media is tough on their own. Look at how they were on Sanchez. It's true. The butt I, fumble. I mean, I don't get it. I think it's something to do with the family. Hmm. And I listen, Colin's right in the middle of it all, meaning I'm not saying there's anything nefarious. I'm saying he's in love with Sam Darnold like no one's business. You know what? If you got to pick, you got to be in love with Jimmy G. I don't get it. You know, that's your feelings on it. I, somehow I don't fall, fall. Somehow I'm in love with like Michael Jordan in that regard. <laughs> or I'm in love with Belichick, right? Or the old Tom Brady. I, I want guys I can relate to. Not, I guess that's the thing. I want to be more of what I am. And other people want to be, not everyone, but other people want to be something other than they are. That's interesting. I never thought of it that way. Matt, do you, Hollywood, do you want to be more of what you are or other than you are? Oh, that's a hard question. That means you want to be other than you are and you don't want to admit No, no, no. I'm trying to navigate the middle of the two. I'm... <laughs> interested in becoming who I am. So more of who well, I that, am. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay, so you're saying, but that would be more of who you are. I mean, yeah. you've got an internal spirit, you know, like if you were falling from a tree or falling from a building and you were going to be dead 100% in seconds, 
you're going to have a certain thought. And Woody Allen, for example, is going to have an oy vey kind of thought. Like we, there's a, it's in your bones, right? Yeah. Everyone's got this something in their bones. Yes, exactly. For me, I'm going to be pissed off that I, I messed something up that, and that caused me to fall. And I'm going to be, yeah, I mean, that's what it's going to be, you know? And I'm going to say, why couldn't I get myself a ladder? <laughs> so, Steve, what about, I mean, I think we know the answer with your love of Jimmy G, but go ahead. <laughs> I love Jimmy G. I know. I'm thinking about pulling the ripcord like the James Bond spy who loved me. and hoping let's, that- let's agree to the following. You want nothing more to be other than who you are, if you can stay rich. I, I love my life, Yes. But that's the opposite of what you're saying, is you're saying you love the surface stuff, the facile stuff, but deep down you want to change, but you can't change at the DNA level. I can't And it's change. a constant struggle. Can't change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mackenzie? So the Colts are the only team with I'm two- asking you the question. Oh. <laughs> I, like, I, I, I like myself, but I'd like to accentuate my strengths, and I'd especially like to minimize my weaknesses and faults. So what we're saying is you want to change so you actually answer a question That straight. sounds so politically correct, <laughs> yeah, RJ. Yeah. You, you grill me if I answered I that. Yeah, Come but it's, I don't want to – see, here's the thing. you got to know what to encourage. When I grill you, it's trying to be a negative reinforcement for more crap like that. Mm. With him, if he gets more mic time, he's going to love it. So he gets less mic time when he does those kind of things. So whatever it is that you're going to tell me, write it down and walk it to Fez silently. And don't even tell me yes or no. Just that or leave. Let's see if it gets done. Mm-hmm. No more McKenzie. Look, silence. And then he won't do that next time, Fez. Like it. Uh, you like it? <laughs> <laughs> now, th- Matt, we need a camera on. We should have had a camera on his face when I was saying that. It would have been great. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Sam Darnold sucks. All right. Agreed. Take it home. And there's actually a pro football focus did some good work where they take two years and project out. I'll have that next week too, you know, attributed. And it is not good news for Sam Darnold. Let's just say that. All right. What's next? NBA, one playoff team to fade when the NBA gets started again. Yes, one playoff team to fade when NBA gets started again. Please continue talking like that. All right, we're going to bet against the Utah Jazz selectively, RJ. And I got three reasons I want to bet against Utah. I want your thoughts. Is it going to be this easy, this obvious to fade the Jazz? Continue. Rule number one, or reason number one, two teams in the NBA have the biggest home court advantage. The altitude teams, Denver and Utah. So looks like they're going to play in Orlando, more than likely, in a hub city. So Utah not having any home games, disadvantage Utah. Okay, so this is similar to New Orleans, New Orleans, Seattle when it comes to the projections on possible no home or no fans. Um, it's taken away their main edge. Yes. Okay. So, but Utah and Denver both are teams that struggle in the playoffs, even with that edge. Why do you think that is, and is it less of an edge in the playoffs? Yes, the altitude edge is overrated in the playoffs. So there's what happens is the odds makers still give those teams four points for home court, and it's just not worth that during the playoffs. Why is that? 
think a big part of it is that the other rarely is the other team facing a difficult situation where they travel to Denver or Utah and have to play either a back-to-back or just go in there and they're on a road trip and they play one game the next night. That's a good point. So you're saying the fatigue uh, is if you actually broke down where the real edge is, it's there's probably a gigantic edge in the fatigue spots and not as much edge in the regular season in the non-fatigue spots. And since there's no fatigue spots as we're defining them here in the playoffs. And plus, I mean, in general, you're, you're there for days at a time and, and you get used to altitude to some degree. Yes, exactly. So that second game that you play in altitude, you've been there for four days. Yeah. So, okay. Okay. So what you're saying is it, it sounded funny the way that I got you to say it, but you're saying, I'm telling you this overrated element is no being taken away. But in truth, even though it's overrated, it's still worth something. It's still a net negative. It's being taken away from Utah. Exactly. See, I'm saving you. Go ahead. Number two. Number two. And actually, reasons two and three deal with team chemistry problems. Who started this whole uh, elimination of sports? Well, that's Rudy Gobert. And if you recall, he had the infamous um, uh, post-game interview where he was tapping the microphones and putting his fingers everyone because he wasn't feeling well. He wound up testing positive, and his teammate, Donovan Mitchell— First wow. of all, I, I think you're maybe commit—I can't remember libel or if the spoken or written word, but I, I, I don't think that he did it because he wasn't feeling well. He did it because, my, from what I read, is he w- had gotten over— or he was either getting over cold or had a little bit of the sniffles and was playing— and I'm not saying it was okay. I'm not saying it was smart. I'm just saying it wasn't like him maliciously trying to give people things. He thought it was a joke. So he made a joke of something that shouldn't have been a joke. But for him, it was a joke. Right. And he was doing the joke during the press conference. And he was doing the joke in the locker room. You know, yeah, putting, yeah. It was a horrible, yeah. it was bad judgment. No doubt. Right. And so Sports Illustrated did report that the relationship between Mitchell and Gobert, they felt, was not salvageable. Who knows how much truth there is to that bottom line? It well, can't be good. If that's the case, get rid of Mitchell. <laughs> I mean, someone gives you – I mean, and did, did Mitchell lose a kidney or something? No, and we don't even know who caught COVID first, honestly. That's interesting, actually. So that would be hilarious, wouldn't it? That I, yeah. you, you would think if I'm Gobert, uh, go I'd be trying my best to figure that out. But what I'm saying is if someone plays around, gives you the flu and, and, and the bad flu – and but net net you and listen obviously the bad flu is I don't even like to say that because it's politically charged but let's just say this the end result for Mitchell is very similar if not identical to if he had the bad flu it could have been worse it wasn't so to net you know if someone wrecks a car and you almost get you get your head cracked and get a small concussion you're mad no doubt about it and especially if they were driving recklessly you probably don't drive with them again but. If you, you know, if you, if you end up having your eye poked out or you lose a leg, you're going to be a lot, you know, matter. The fact that he's 100% recovered, by my understanding, how mad can you be at this point? Hopefully they'll be, well, hopefully, who they cares? They may be able to patch it up. They you're were hoping just, there is a problem so you can take advantage of well, it financially. I, I, I do. I'm hoping there's a serious chemistry problem. And that brings me to you're my. You're hoping that the, the, the whole team's disrupted. Yes. And, and here's why I think the team actually is disrupted. Utah's second-leading scorer, Bogdanovich, has been playing hurt all year long. He's got a uh, ligament problem with his wrist. You know what's funny? You can always tell in your voice that you prepared something like this. Hmm. 
and that because the way you pronounce his name without a problem, you don't have to go, uh, uh, uh. So let me ask, are you reading this right now? No. I mean, uh, I got my note card. And, and, and does the note card have Bondanovich's name? Bajan Bogdanovich, yes. yes. And, yeah. and does it have the fact he's a second-leading scorer explicitly stated? 20 points per game, yeah. It, does it say second-leading scorer? No, it doesn't. All right. I'm surprised. Does it have the first-leading scorer in the second, so it's implicit? Well, Mitchell's the leading scorer. Uh-huh. Continue. Are oh, you sure he's the second? I'm certain. All right. All right. So Bogdanovich, he's just waiting for the season to end, and then he's going to have his surgery. But a week ago, you know what? He just said, ah, screw it. I'm just going to go and have the surgery now. Ooh. Now, I think this is sending a message big time that he feels like, hey, it's not happening this year. I know, I know we got the fourth best record in the West, but this is not our year. So I think that this is a really good indicator. Things are not right with that locker room. Now, listen. You're going to get a great compliment here. Then you're going to get a little constructive criticism. That's a great point. So, Mackenzie, on this point, be succinct. On this point, did Fezzik present this for straight out of Vegas? Oh, we did prepare it for straight out of Vegas. So it, we didn't it, get to it. No. It's, but it's in a queue is what I'm saying. Yes. Okay. All right. So I got to get through these cues more. So that's good. And this is the kind of stuff I can make work on radio. You know, this is more of a podcasty topic, but it's a great topic. I, I love it. So the constructive criticism is you can tell when you make a good point and you tend to like circle. It's almost like, you know, I don't mind you spiking the football, <laughs> but it's like you have a big orchestrated dance that actually someone from like the top row has to come down for. So we're all waiting for you to repeat it. And then you repeat it slowly. You think of another way to say it. Just let it sit. Sometimes let it sit there and just be like, that was profound. Don't say it in some way that chances are it's going to be less effective than the original way you said it. You follow me? Yes. It was a great point. I mean, Hollywood, you're the kind of guy that likes sports. You're not a, a day-to-day batter. That, you would think, I don't want to play that team, right? They got chemistry problems because of the you know, illness or whatever. And then if anything, it's not so much this guy is gone because it's going to be built into the number. It's the fact that him choosing to be gone is a sign that the team doesn't have cohesiveness. Yes. Hang on a second. I'm distracted by Fez's touchdown dance. <laughs> that's pretty good. You should, you should put that in one of your scripts. <laughs> so, yes, I think that, that's, that's a great take. <laughs> so I love it. So we got to make sure to get – we got to make sure I'm, that, that, that I'm being pitched on those that good. And kudos, just don't celebrate for so long. Got it. <laughs> and talk normal. Oh, Yeah. All right, what else we got? Oh, how do we get at this? I mean, is it just play against them in the first series? Yeah, just game by game, first couple games. I think you play against them in the series, right? Yeah. So why would you say game by game? Well, I don't know what the format's going to be. What could it be that you wouldn't like this? There's no format. All right, so that's the series. Yeah. Because here's something you never hear. And this is why I believe sometimes it's better to bet teams big long shots in March Madness. No one agrees with me but I don't give a care. It's because if you get, let's say there's a team in, in um, ah, what's that team that had the nun? L- Loyola. Loyola. Yeah. They, um, 
I can't remember what were they maybe 60 to 1 to win the I I 200 to 1 to win the tournament 60 to 1 to win their bracket or their quarter I think you remember Yeah it was 60 to 1 to win the make the final four Okay how do I remember I don't know it's one of those weird things All right Fez we have a new this has been planned out meticulously It's called Go till RJ is bored and then stop Now we're going to work on the name but for the most part, you pick a topic and you keep going till I'm bored, and don't. And every word you say after that is twenty dollars. You agree? I agree. I don't care if you say. And the record is one sixty-three. If I go boring, you just have to stop, or you can pay the twenty if you want to give the. Might be worth it. And one sixty-one. You know, like all right. So topic one. All right, golf. I want to talk about the woods. Boring. Manning. No. <laughs> go ahead. A Phil Brady match. And I think this really was the poster child for how golf and other sports should be. The problem with golf, RJ, no personalities. You get that that golf clap. No one says anything controversial. I really enjoyed the interaction that occurred between the players. Uh, Tiger needling Phil. Phil needling Tiger. uh, Charles Barkley chiming in. And frankly, this just worked at such a high level. The golf was just ancillary to the interaction of the personalities. But is that the way to fix golf then? Is that personalities you don't care? I mean, this is the two best quarterbacks of the last 20 years. You don't get to really see them in a competitive environment. It's Tiger Woods. And Mickelson, who's a gambler. I mean, this is like the perfect storm. Like, like Give me the B list. Like These four can't do it. Give me two golfers and two other people, and let's think how good it would be. They're, everyone's such, so country club and boring. Maybe Kepka, the guy that can bench press a house, you know? Okay, so that's one. Go ahead. I'm trying to think of a second golfer. All right, say Roy McIlroy. Okay, then who's the other two? Rory's boring. Well, who isn't? Go ahead. You know, they, they, Justin Leonard, you know, uh, they're all Dustin Johnson. They're all, they're all, all right, fair enough. Who's the other two, though? Meaning the non-golfers. Okay, so celebrities? Yeah. No, huh. no, the guy, the 7-Eleven guy serves you the big golfs. Well, if you could get Barkley out there, you know. and You really want to hear more from him? LeBron? Oh, my God. All right, so then give me the Michael, next. Michael, get me Jordan out there. Oh, yeah, okay. Give me the next two. I mean, what you see what I'm saying? This is a, this is a pandemic kind of thing, I think, is we were starving for it. I, wa- I tried to watch an eight-minute recap of it. It was too boring for me to get through eight minutes. Mm. But, again, I'm not, I'm not a golf guy. I like to play it. I just don't like to watch it. You know, and I watched the Boring. To- Next topic. Next topic. Poker. Mackenzie Fezzik. No, no, no. That's at the very end. Next oh, topic. That was my last topic. You had nothing else prepared. That's it. Damn, that's a thin show. Lucky I kept this going for a long time. All right, so we got a best bat. So Mackenzie, what do we? So we're gonna do a best bat. Who? What other best bats do we have? We got one from Dave Hitman, uh, Dave Esler, and the Hitman. So Diamond Dave Esler, get the names right. Tommy the Hitman, who's a school teacher in New Jersey, weighs 165 pounds in his 20s, but he's called the Hitman. That's right. We got both of those guys. <laughs> and then we're gonna talk about the uh, poker tournament. All right, let's hear from our gal. Anybody's guess Ain't no good reason For getting all depressed Five 
Go, Fez, go. All right, Jacksonville's quarterback, the stash, Minshew, to go under 23.5 touchdown passes for the year. Minshew last year, he averaged 1.5 per game, RJ. So the simple math looks like this number is pretty close to accurate. If he plays 16 games, throws 1.5 touchdowns a game, that's 24, almost exactly the 23.5 number. However, I think this under 23.5 bet is the ultimate free roll, and we have two things going for us. First free roll, injury. Minshew is an active runner, ran the ball 67 times last year, 344 yards. So an active quarterback, more likely to get hurt. If he gets hurt, we're going to cash under 23.5. Second reason I really like this, free roll, missed games. Jacksonville's only supposed to win four and a half games this year. They're the lowest-lined team in the NFL. This I know about teams that are really bad. Oftentimes, the quarterback gets benched. Jacksonville just added Mike Glennon, good backup. They've got a young whoa, guy. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hmm? Not a good backup. Capable backup. Mm. Cap- not, you're Capable right. Capable of socking. Not a top 10 backup. Capable backup. Capable of socking. And you also have a young guy in Dobbs that you may want to give some time to. So there's certainly a more than a reasonable chance that even if Minshew You don't stays, believe anything of what you're saying. You think Minshew's going to play all 16 no, games? No, but I don't think Dobbs, who the Steelers cut, yeah. is going to get time as a starter in the NFL? If Jacksonville starts you know, no, no, one and nine, no, no. I could easily see them no. giving Minshew a few games off. The 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 The... I love this bat. Let's start there. I mean, is this widely available? Yeah, it's at it FanDuel's, it's at DraftKings, it's, it's at a couple of my other books that I have. So can you give me a dime down? I will get on it, yes. I mean, get me that number and no crazy vig. Let's do it. I want a dime on this. I like this. All right. Because it's the same as my Peyton Manning bat is really what you're saying. You're, you're lifting my Peyton Manning bat but not giving me credit. Would we agree? We will agree, yes. But... but Here's the part, you're, you're missing two parts. One is, the danger is a guy like Cam. The danger is some uh, a trait, you know, them saying, listen, we're so bad. It's like what happened with Miami, whereas they started out with some, and I think Jacksonville maybe is the team that has the most motivation not to win. Now, I'm not going to say tanking, I, but whatever it is, they're making decisions that seem to have no regard for this year. And in my opinion, to have one of the worst starters. So you've got your list, one to 32 of the starters. Where is Minshew on that list? 29. All right. Who's worse than him? Uh, Drew Locke, 30. Oh, you are so wrong about that. Yeah, I think I may be. Uh, Haskins, 31. Uh, all right. And Stidham, 32. You're insane. All right, how's this sound? All you got to do is give me plus 120. I'll take Stidham. <laughs> but here we got to do passer rating here. I'll take Stidham. You take uh, the stash. <laughs> Give me plus 120. And I, it's just a passer rating bet. Yeah, no thank you. Well, wait, I'm confused. Well, New England's supposed to win nine games in Jacksonville. But four you're and saying half. this quarterback's worse. It's core. He's got nothing around him. How much is, is D.D. Westbrook but, but, and Chalk But, but, but hold on perform? a second. It's not like your quarterback rankings or somehow abstracting out the team they're on. You're, you're just not. Because you, no one can really do that. You don't know. You just know how good 
the stash was with Jacksonville. We don't know how good he'd be on Cincinnati or whatever. So and we have no idea about Stidham. So what are you talking about? Stidham's number 32 saying he's going to be the worst quarterback this year. Not that he would be the worst in some place where there was a simulation and he could play on every team a million times. That's not what you're telling us, right? You're saying based on the circumstances of this season, he's the guy you expect to have the worst result. Didn't you already, didn't RJ, didn't you already beat me up on a bet like this because if didn't I already beat you, I pretty much depanched you. You depanched me because what's going to happen is that if Stidham's bad, he's going to get replaced. He's not going to qualify. And it was by QBR. That's why I said we yeah, should do so passer you, so rating. You basically t- 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 seeing if I was paying attention when you depanched me the first time. No, but that was one where see you misused the word free roll here, but let's let's go back and talk about that. That's a free roll, which was, but it's not. I want to use that word correctly. Free rolls you can't lose, right? Mm. Is what I hear you say is if he plays the whole season, he's probably 50-50 to do this. Yes. And there's a hell of a chance he doesn't play the whole season. Right, so it's not a free roll. Right? You're, you're getting, you're, you're, you've got a coin flip in some cases, some percentage of the time. And I think it might be, I think him playing 16 games is is probably far better than half he doesn't play 16 games. So, But if he plays 15, 14, he could still get it in theory, right? Yeah. I think there's probably, what, a 15% chance he doesn't play more than like 8 or 10? And thus, there you got it, right? Is if you're if 85% of the time you're going 50-50, so it's 42.5% each, and then you get it 100% of the time from there – you got to have, what is that, 58%, right? I mean, that's conservative, I think, on this bat. Is that a fair way? For yes, you? yes. Okay, so, but I'm talking about something entirely different. With Stidham, it was, would he be, I can't remember, I mean, obviously it's an important bat, 29th or something in QBR, and I said, I'll bet you, and we bet, and I actually laid a little vig to you, which is when you knew you were stuck, and... <laughs> And in the rationale being, it takes a lot of games to qualify as QBR. I don't think New England would allow him to keep playing if he was that bad. You know how Belichick is. Hoyer's there for a reason. And thus, I don't think, I mean, he could kind of be good then start falling off. It's the end of the year. There's a way for me to lose this bat, but there's not many ways for him to qualify and be that bad. That is different than me saying, I think Stidham, no matter how many games he plays, will be better then Minshew, and since you believe there's a significant difference, I'll take a small plus money to even it out. This is what betting is, Steve. Why won't you take it? All right, what if if they don't qualify? We still there is no qualifier for passer rating. You know, I'll I'll lose a hundred with you. Hundred. Oh my god! It's almost because- like you shouldn't bet. You should at three hundred minimum. It's a season long bet. It's like you want to bet five dollars a week. Three hundred. It is. <laughs> Let's do it. He hates this bat, McKenzie. I do. <laughs> but why would it? you? Why would you? Well, it's... You, why would you hate it, I'm saying? You know, I was going to make the case about Jacksonville's lack of weapons, but it's a faulty argument because look at New England's weapons, right? Yeah, so why? I it's because you have this default of putting unknown quarterbacks in a bad spot. And here's what you need to know. A quarterback that's proven to be bad is a worse bet than one that you don't know anything about that has a decent pedigree. I taught you this about a year and a half ago, and you just won't learn it. Because here's what we know. Belichick is starting him for a reason. 
So Belichick thinks there's a chance he's going to do all right, right? Yeah. So at that point, and it's not just Belichick, any NFL coach, you got to give him that much credit. Unless there's something like maybe Haskins where it was a draft choice the coaches don't like. You know, now you can start saying otherwise. But now with Minshew, we know how good he is. How good is he? Not good. And the thing I think you're also selling yourself short on on this bat, which I really like, excuse me, is the idea that he got worse. That yeah, they, his last, that's a great point. They figured him out. They did. The league did. That ain't changing. It's not like the whole offseason they're not going to continue to look at his tape. And a lot of people are saying, well, the whole COVID stuff, if anything, it's giving these coaches more like research time. So I think the stuff you can divine from film, actually, the COVID helps. The stuff that it takes to show the team and, and implement it, it hurts. I don't know if that's been heard anywhere else. You get that? I like that. It, well, it's just the truth. You got to like the truth. Everyone's sitting at home, isolating, watching Minshew's like, yeah. bad it, performance the last four games. His hands are like little flippers. He's one of those little-handed dudes, I think. I just know. I, here's what I know. I hadn't seen many games of his, and I saw like a couple plays here or there, and I saw the end of the game. I think it was the Giants game when he couldn't throw it 40 yards. Oh, I remember that. He was under pressure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like there's a reason he was the sixth pick or sixth-round sixth pick. Sixth-round, yeah, yeah. Yeah, good. Tell me a sixth-round pick that ever played that bad in, in, in one year that played that was the um, incumbent starter the next year. Gosh. Or, or some late-round pick even. I mean, not even, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth. I don't think I ever remember this happening. I remember a guy like a Tony Romo coming in and playing well, right? Dak, but tell me a guy that played as poorly net-net as Minshew that is the – and I get, too, second-string guy, someone gets hurt next year, but comes in and says, no th- in fact, we're going to have a below-average backup. If there's ever a place that a Winston would have went, in theory, that we thought Andy Dalton would have went to – they didn't want any Dalton. Oh, based on need, how the heck is... Because they didn't want him. Yeah. It's not any Dalton decide. I mean, I don't know this for sure. This is that Jacksonville is probably tanking. And I'm not going to call it that because I actually have a problem with that. But I think they're, they're going to try as hard as they can in the games. I think the, the front office is setting this up in a way that it's going to be hard for them to win. Because why else would you keep Minshew? Like make the case, like make that case, like play devil's advocate, put on rosy glasses, look oh, at his stats. Oh, you you keep him as a backup. Yeah, you don't yeah. keep him as a starter. That's a question, to be honest. Yeah, I mean he's fine as a backup. Yeah, he's maybe. Got some experience. I don't even know yet. I mean, like let's see how bad he. What was his QBR, McKenzie? The the the. Uh, let's go game by game. Like once he came back after Foles got benched. And to me, Steve, this trend line is the real story because this happens to these limited quarterbacks Oof. all the time. Oh, go ahead. The next game back, he was 8.5 against the Bucks. Out of 10? <laughs> Out of 100. Shut up. What week was that? Uh, it was December 1st. So give me, like, give me all of them. Week 13. Well, I, I just did quickly. The, his last eight games was a 31 QBR, and he, and he had a 14 in there. It got bad. If you have enough to do the math, will you read them to me? 
Yes. So he comes back. He has an 8.5 against the Bucks, then a 32, a 59, a 14, and a 62. So his best game was in the 60th percentile, and he probably had three of the worst, like, 15 games of the whole season of any quarterback. Now, you don't see QBRs in the teens very often. It's not like statistically you see it. You don't see it 20% of the time or whatever, the bottom 20%. So however they're doing that, you don't. Yeah, it's much more like, you know, when you're in school and you get a bad score in a test, right? You, you, but you don't get a 12. I think it's more that they grade each play even, and that each play gets graded on a 1 to 100, and then it just ends yes. up that the ball bunches in the middle, right? I mean, if you actually look at the top QB, I mean, that's interesting. Pull up QBR last year. Give me the number one and give me the number, I think it was only 29 eligible. Give me the number one and give me, like, the number 22. Oh, no, no actually, give me the number four and the number 24. So I want to take off the edges. So number four was Dak Prescott at 70. 70%. And then Josh Allen clocked in at 47. He was the 24th. Yeah, so like it's all bunched in the middle, right? And it has a bias towards being above 50. So, and, and again, Steve, you were the one that pointed out a while back, in general, they set this thing at 50 years ago, you know, whatever, eight, 10 years ago. Now the average is like 54 or something because quarterbacks are getting better. Yes, so Minshew was as bad as you can get. Why is he coming back? Now, you might say, RJ, that's a sign that they'll start him. Like, if you're saying this is intentional, why wouldn't he start? Well, one, it's the injury. But two, at some point, you get embarrassed. Your, your fans insist of, in something different. Like Andy Dalton last year. Yes. Now, some people love Finley. I'm not going to name names. <laughs> yeah, Finley of the... I think his QBR was 21, RJ. <laughs> Which was better. Than, I mean, what we're saying is literally better than multiple games Minshew played once he came back. And he was like a historic. He and Falk were like the historic, horrible quarterbacks. So this makes no – this is a tank job. And that means we're betting under on a tank job. I love it. Now, I love the trend line. I love the fact that I think they're going to get embarrassed. And worst case, they'll start. Listen, they started Nathan Peterman in this league. I mean, what I'm saying is at some point, they're going to try anything but Minshew. So I think you're right. I, I, don't th- I think he probably plays 12, 13. But if you just go to 13 instead of 16, it's a hell of a bet. Oh, he's got to throw almost two touchdowns per game. I mean, is Jacksonville even going to score two touchdowns in those games? Yeah, so... I got a dime. So here's the beauty of it. I get to bet your smart bet for a dime. You execute. But then I got you to bet me a bad bet. This is why I'm me. Yes. Like in case people are wondering. This is why I win when I'm betting against everyone. <laughs> I'm, I'm, ser- I'm serious. People think, but you know, hook me up to the lie detector test. I mean, literally, I've like got a positive record against everybody. Everybody. So think about Except, it. And I have a horrible record against you. This is called, you know, in, in business, they call it founder's tuition. There's certain mistakes you have to make, and it's just the tuition cost. You can't be explained away from them. You're going to make them. This is, this is your chance to plug up your holes. Except I see when you try to plug them up, and then I change. But no big hmm. deal. It could end at some point. What do you think of this, Matt? I think from an outside perspective. Yes. Two things I learned today. One, I don't know why anyone would ever challenge you. On anything. On anything. 
And two, I'll take my wife needs to hear that. More specifically, why Fez would want to challenge you on anything. Well, part of it is he has a humongous ego. I don't know if you've noticed. <laughs> but, but part of it is he's embarrassed not to. This is the, the beauty of live radio or podcast. It, it is. And he figures it's not. Listen, if he would just hit, win 45% of the time, it would have been well worth it to him. Right, the fact that it's like twenty-five and three. <laughs> the funny thing is, I should quit. I could always, you know, meaning I could just lord it over you. But no, I let you keep going, baby. I should be able to just go all in with two crappy cards and win forty percent. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. With my seven-five suited, I should win forty percent. <laughs> all right, let's do two more best bets, and we'll hear. I hear the cards. You, I know you want to talk about it, Steve. Mackenzie, I haven't heard much about it. Hint, hint. Hitman's up next. Now, let's do Diamond Dave, seniority. Now, what do you know about Diamond Dave? If you listen to the show a lot, you know the freaking guy wins. But if you don't listen, you're going to ask yourself, hmm, why Diamond? He might have, you know, maybe he's successful. But then you're going to look at his picture. Go to pregame.com, look at Dave Esther. You're going to say, hmm, he doesn't look very successful. He looks like an accountant. But when there's a guy that looks like an accountant that you call Diamond Dave, that means he wins a lot. Let's listen. I like him betting a value play of the year. The Bears plus 400 to win the NFC North. Talk about value. Packers and Vikings are both plus 150, plus 170 respectively. So the implied win probabilities are 40 and 37% for those guys. Both win totals are set at nine for the Packers and the Vikings. Bears win total is set at eight. And yet, plus 400, their implied division win probability is 20%. For one less win, I don't know about all that. Strength of schedule, remarkably similar to both the Vikings and the Packers. Foles is an upgrade. Foles has proven to really thrive with a good tight end. And second-round pick Cole Komet has first-round talent. Mack and Hicks will be healthy. Add in Robert Quinn. I expect the Bears' defense to steal a game or two. So let's look back. They were 8-18 eight last year. It didn't throw for more than 235 yards in any game till week 12. Their win total and their division odds this year, strictly based on perception, which is incorrect. So I bet the Bears over eight wins and plus 400 to win the NFC North. What do you think of that pick, McKenzie? It's interesting. I, I've heard a lot of uh, uh, negative things about the Chicago Bears. It's interesting. You know, he has a different circle. You know, he's not in that biggest bubble. He often has that... Like, I think it was the Bucks a couple years ago where everyone was down on him, or it was the Jaguars. Everyone oh, was no, down on him. He won't let me him. forget it because I bet him on that and he beat me on that. He won't let me forget that one. <laughs> and, and we were making fun of him for that pick on the quarterback going five, you know, before five, or I can't remember, five and a half, I think. Tua. Yep, and it cashed. Yeah, well, yeah. Diamond, I mean, yeah. Diamond Dave. He literally hit the apex of the best number on that bet. That's just, he's contrarian too. Like, here's the thing though. He is built for this age. And here's why. Back in the day, fading wise guys wasn't a smart thing because there wasn't enough wise guys. Like, you could fade Billy Walters, if you, but fading like these, you know, half a wise guy types, that's what he likes to fade, is he will pick you off. To me, that's why Dave, and you know what we should do? We'll probably do a Dave Esler. You know what we'll do? We'll do a super pack this year because this will be the – in fact, this is something I might just like commit to bet it blind is 
Dave Esler and Fez, when they contradict you pass, when they have their own play, you make a small bat, and it's all relative, a one-unit bat. And I know there's all the Kelly theories, you shouldn't three-axe it, but when you two agree, it's a three-axer for me. And here's why. You come at it, he's trying to pick you off effectively, right? Meaning he's trying to say, where are the wise guys in an echo chamber? You know, and he, he all the time, if he's against you, I think he's probably 51% because I think you, and again, that, no, you're going to win that way, right? But I'm saying I would give him the smallest edge in, the, in this way, that you make so many bets that are not mechanical, but they're almost muscle memory. And one of the things I do is pick you off on him is I say, yeah, you think this is the same situation, but it's not. But you actually make more money because you do those bets, meaning because you got enough volume that in the end, those bets across the board, those muscle memory bets hit, let's say, 54 percent, 53 and a half even. You're making money. But I get to cherry pick them and say these are the worst of the muscle memory bets. And obviously, it's not the crazy streak we've been on, but I'm going to probably win those. That's what he does. But by having you and him, you will find the times that he has spotted a weakness in the wise guys because he wants to fade wise guys. Because it moves the wise guys, the half of wise guys, obviously, I'm not talking about you, move the line like they didn't 15 years ago. So, because there's a lot of, you know, the Twitter wise guys, there's all these people that are following a lot of the same things we talk about. They might be missing that last couple percent, and that's what he picks off because he gets it at the best number. So not only are those guys maybe a little below 50% because they're wrong about the bet, but now he's getting the best number, so it puts him into that sweet zone, 54-55. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. You know, the analogy, I don't, let me ask you if this is good. It's almost like I'm playing like 10 tables at once. I'm playing poker. Yeah, I think it's good. Yeah, and I got ace-king, right? And I'm busy. I beep, beep. I got to move. I'm just going all in. And that's fine when I'm short stacked. That's fine. And and in the aggregate, I'm going to win. However, uh, I might have had a complete rock limp in under the gun, and he's going to pick me off because I'm not paying enough attention on that one specific game. That's what Dave Essler does. I like the analogy, but I think you're being too nice to yourself. And and here's this sincerity. You know, listen, no one's going to say I'm too easy on you. I think you've never learned how to winnow those games down. It's not you're too busy, because really, imagine telling your customers that hmm. I'm too busy to care. I mean, that's all you do, right? It's either doing radio around it or do, betting it. You you just can't see it because you didn't need to see it. It's almost like someone that grew up in a town that had no crime, right? They're not going to, but then you find someone that grew up in the city, Right, so uh, Hollywood would grew up in San Jose, right, which isn't really the city. But then you were in New York for how long? Seven years. You're gonna be able in Manhattan, right? Yes. You you saw oh look look see that see that hall you know see that hallway see that. you knew you had a sixth sense eventually right of places not to go exactly. If you grew up in my town, four thousand people, no stoplights, a Dairy Queen only open five months a year because it's not winter. When it's not winter. You don't have those. Now, again, me, I always was kind of paranoid, so I, I kind of did. But in general, if you're in Mayberry, you're not worried. Steve, you were in Mayberry betting these dumb bookies, and you just don't have that sixth sense. So you're, And here's the beauty of it. If you bet everything you bet, 
even your one stars by themselves, you win. Year out, I mean, just history says it. This is documented. But if you look at your very best picks, you do even better because it's more than the rote. It's more than the muscle memory. So a listener might say, why shouldn't bet those muscle memory? But they win. Could they win more? Yeah. You know how they win more? And maybe that's something we can do as part of this too. Put a super package together. And the other piece would be the hitman because his props are unbelievable. Uh, I mean, what was his record last year in the props, Steve? I don't have it in front of me, but it, it is give absolutely. Give someone else credit. Try to. Pardon me? Try to give someone else credit here. I, I, I know you're struggling. Surpri- it would not surprise me if Hitman didn't hit 67% of his props. And, again, these aren't widely available sometimes. You know, so let's just be realistic here, right? It was a hell of a year. He knows his props. So what I'm thinking of doing is this. Putting Diamond Dave, the Hitman, and Fezzik together. But here's the last piece of it. The only thing I do is I, as part of Fezzik's stuff, RJ's disagreements go in. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I look at it and I say, oh, this is one of Fezzik's defaults. I don't like that. So now if you got Ashler looking to pick you off and I'm looking to pick you off, and we know what happens when I try to pick you off. Now, I won't hit anywhere near. I just, if I hit 50, I've done great service, right? Because I've taken out a losing, you know, net net losing bets, right? So if I end up fading, let's say, one out of five of your, your picks, all of a sudden now your volume goes down 20% and your profits go up because even if I hit 50, you're not paying VIG on that 20%, right? Yeah. I hit 51, it's outstanding. Right? I would never fake, like bet against Steve. Like I'm going to disagree with more picks than I would bet him on. Right? If I think I'm 50.01%, well, actually, if I think I'm 50 or 48%, I can't assess it like that. But right in theory, I should veto it. And then everyone can do what they want. It's still your pick. But now they can decide, I'm going to bet Fezzik's threes, big. Diamond Dave's threes, big. I'm going to bet any of Fez's plays that aren't contradicted, medium. And then you do, you know, I'm going to bet the props big from Diamond or from uh, the Handman. Jesus Christ, this is a hell of a package. What do you think? I like it. You know, I, I have to tell you this. My wife actually asked me, RJ. She's like, well, RJ finally owes you some money from the XFL, right? And I said to her, I don't, RJ did not disagree with me on any of my XFL. That would have been insane. None of them. Now you hear they're up for bankruptcy and there's rumors Vince McMahon's going to buy and try to come back, you know, at a discounted price, get more ownership. Now he's saying he's not going to, but you, you have something to, there's a chance, Steve. Yeah, there's, I heard there's dozens of potential buyers, including the NFL. See, I would if the NFL wanted to start something, why don't they just start it? They wouldn't want that brand that was supposed to be like a wrestling mm, brand. That's a good point. Right? They can start their own. I don't know. But you're saying it's funny you know this story. Like, you, you can go and be oblivious to the story. How do you know this story? I saw XFL possibly resurrected, and I immediately blew off the important work I was doing to read about that. It's <laughs> ah. true. So, I, I mean... Mackenzie, you understand, you know, you were a fan first. What do you think of that package? Dream come true. Where, where's the only in dreams drop? 
Yeah, it's that's true. I got to we got to get things rolling. I've been in the office and today just I wasn't able to get in. But next week, that's a good idea. So I'll refine that. But you know something? I actually might want to put this out early because I don't want I'll, I'll be candid. I don't ever hardly do this. I've done this occasionally is I might limit this because there's props. There's, you know, like like the first hundred or something. And then, you know, it's not going to, you know, obviously there's a lot of information here. So, I mean, I can't imagine it'd be less. And, and again, we could maybe even sell a first month, too, for people at some point. But, you know, whenever you buy it for a month, anything, you're going to pay a lot more than if you buy it for the season. And if you buy it for the day, it's a lot more in a month. You know, it's like anything else. But we would never have this daily. And I don't think we'll have, in fact, I know we won't have it monthly like every month. But maybe... Like the second month of the year, if because here's what we know: if you bet any real money, good information is usually worth it. You know, even if it costs a reasonable amount. Now, listen, if it's costing you ten thousand and you're betting, you know, fifty dollars a game, it's not worth it, right? I mean, and that's an extreme case, obviously. But if you get a situation where you you get it for the season, you're getting multiple picks, you're getting a lot of volume because it's multiple people. You know, it's not like you have to bet a crazy amount, but if you're betting 20, 30 bucks a game, it just doesn't work. So one thing that's important to realize is we always try to be cognizant and give so much free information because really you could, in fact, you probably should, if it was the right deal, do like a $29 a month type thing, even if you're betting 20 bucks, because it's probably, if it's good info, it's worth it. But we try to give you a ton of free stuff. None of the stuff it's going to be like that level is going to work for you. So obviously you're getting a ton of Steve, getting a ton of the Hitman, you're getting a ton of me, too much of me maybe sometimes. And but I want to put this together. So obviously if you're batting 200, 300 a game, and you like what we do, this will be a great deal. But even for the ones a little less than that, I want to find a way to at least give them a month, and then if they win, they can you know obviously they can get on a roll and. Don't, but listen, I always say this, you know, bankroll, talk about Kelly. This is simple. Bet less. In general, most people bet too much. And I, we would never, if anyone ever tries to entice you to bet more, run. That is Boiler Room 101 crap. So, you know, don't, if anything, you know, think about the way I approach it. Bet less. Whatever you bet is probably mathematically too much. And if you win, you're going to be happy even at a lesser amount. And if you lose, it won't be that real pain, right? And we all tend to bet to the point of we only would feel real pain if we lose an, a borderline incomprehensible streak, except those streaks are, are more comprehensible than you know. That's the whole point. And, Steve, I mean, you've bet a long time. I mean, you and you've won a long time. Going 3-11 and 11 is not, and I'm not talking just against me, going 3-11 and 11 is not hard. Yeah, and I think it is not hard, and probably the best exercise of that that I ever saw, there's a book called Blackjack Attack, I believe, by Don Schlesinger. Try to say the words, uh, like, cleanly. Don Schlesinger. No, no, the, the actual title would be enough. Blackjack Attack. Yes, Blackjack Attack. Okay, go ahead. And there are four card counters that were part of a team and they were given specific instructions hey don't bet more than this this is how much you bet so they were the- betting like what like like what kelly at that point it was like half kelly even with blackjack when they actually know the exact odds yes so wow. they're very conservative uh-huh. all right 
And so what happens is, like, player A is, like, up more than expected. Player B meets expectation. Player C is way, way below expectation. Player D is below expectation. And they explained what happened. Well, player C didn't follow the rules and wound up, you know, steaming on some shoes and the like. And they gave all these explanations for why C did so terrible and why A did better. And then at the very end, RJ, and these were extreme wins and losses. At the end, they said, we just made all this this up. They actually all followed the rules completely. And player C just still got crushed. And it's funny, though, because Kelly is a mathematical certainty that if you know the chance of winning and you know your edge, that that is the optimal bet. That, that it's not a debate. It's like that's why it's, it's so respected. And it's interesting. I guess they were saying we'd rather, I guess to some degree when you're counting, you don't know the exact count at every second, right? You know, a, I mean, you don't know your exact odds every second, right? And it's a blended number too, right? So you don't know how rich the decks are going to be because you can have good runs and bad runs even if you're counting. So I guess that's why they wouldn't do count. Well, you still inevitably make so small mistakes when you're like estimating numbers of decks left, like there's four and a half and a six deck shoe and you're going to have to divide. Inevitably, you're going to make some small uh, miscalculations. Yeah. But what I what the mistake I made was if if there's one hand and you, and you're looking at it and you know the situation and you could figure out the odds and you know the count whatever factors there are uh, or let's say there is no count and you're in a double down situation you assume it's a random deck you're still gonna you know know your edge right yeah is you should bet in that case exactly Kelly it's just when you have uncertainty is when you go down to less than, and Kelly's just a num- an amount per given the circumstance. That's what they say, bet Kelly, bet half Kelly. So, and I got a book on Kelly. I haven't read it, but it's literally like 400 pages that explains all the intricacies of it. Oh, and it's complicated shit. Oh, yeah, you yeah. Can, I mean, you could have situations where you have like a six and a four against a dealer ten. And it's positive expectation, like a plus no, five. No, this isn't Kelly in blackjack. It's the mathematics of how Kelly came to be. Yeah, yes, and it can be correct to double down in terms of expectation, uh-huh. but you don't do it because your expectation is only slightly better doubling than hitting, but your risk goes through the roof. Well, which is the def. I mean, really, ultimately, if you read about the hedge funds and stuff, that that for them. You know, and, and, you know, I have a finance degree, so, you know, I have some of this knowledge. But ultimately, you're all the more risk you take, the more money you have to make in order to endure the risk. And hedge funds, by definition, it's not that they're supposed to make so much money. It's supposed to, they're supposed to make money with little risk. And that's, you know, I don't even know what CDs are now or whatever, but it might be 1% or 2%, right? It's really low. And... <clears throat> If you can hit eight and a half percent in a hedge fund, you're willing to pay big time for that. Even though you might say, well, the S&P 500 over this period is 11 percent, except you can go up, you can go down. A hedge fund is hedging and by debt. Now, listen, they all don't do that like they're supposed to, like the original charter of the whole industry was. But if you tell someone, here's the way to make eight percent the rest of your life, it's not hard to get rich. Right. Sure. It, it, it's like with stocks. So you might say it's better than that. But do you buy in at the right time? Do you sell? And that's why there's all the how do you dollar cost average in? How do you dollar cost average out? And you just can't do it perfectly. So it, and, and, and 
oftentimes a lot of people's wealth is dictated by just when they happen to retire. And oftentimes at that point, they'll move a lot of money out of stocks because they don't want the risk anymore. And then the market crashes or vice versa. Like your whole life. I mean, think about it. It's a Forex chain. I mean, we've had multiple times in the last 20 years that the market has either doubled or got cut in half, right? In 2008, nine being obviously a big cut in half time. What, 2001 with the uh, internet boom going down. I don't know if it quite got cut in half. I think, I know the NASDAQ did, but the, the Dow, I don't know. But imagine it's a 4X, right? Is the idea that if you would have bought at the low and sold at the high versus vice versa. Um, I mean, let's just think of the math real quick. I think I'm right about that. So let's just say that the high was um, 20,000 and the low was 10,000. So if you buy at 10, so you either double your money or half your money. Yeah, so it's 4X. So you, I mean, based on when you just came in or out of the market, if you did it that way, you could literally have either um, $100,000 or $400,000. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. So that's, I mean, again, in general, if you just put a little bit in every month, you do well. Though I also, you know, I listen, you gave me a couple compliments today. I, I had a class at Ohio State. It was a nice opportunity. Actually, uh, Dr. Ed Jennings taught it, and he was the guy who fired um, Earl Bruce. And uh, it was at the time, it was a huge deal, right? And uh, and he actually got run out as president. Like I, I don't even remember the mechanics of it. I mean, a lot of people didn't like him. I don't remember exactly who was pro what, but... But he was a finance professor, so he was a known guy from that, you know, nationally. And uh, he actually was the president. Yeah, he was the president of the university, but then he went to be a professor, which he was originally. So there was like 12 of us in the class. It was like a, a nice honors thing. And we actually were handling a percentage of the endowment. So, I mean, it was millions of dollars. But, I mean, here's the trick. You could only make like a set amount of trades at the very end of the quarter. So the theory was that, that, you know, we couldn't go and say, we want to buy, you know, 10 to one put options or, you know, it was pretty much, you could invest 20% of it, but you had to move it to this type of stock that had these people. So they had govern governance on it that the kids weren't going to mess it up too much. Right. Mm -hmm. But the kids actually, and you know, I don't get any credit for this, but over the course of the prior, like five years, we had outperformed every other investment. And I, it's we's not, right? Because I was only there the one quarter. That class on a continuum had outperformed every other investment vehicle at Ohio State. Like, you know, they gave some money to this or that. And, they, and Jennings said it was simple. We could only trade once a quarter. And thus, we were trading more like Warren Buffett, who wasn't really as known at the time. But the idea is Buffett says you should be willing to buy a stock that you only get the price once a year. And on January 1st, you get the price. And if you, you can either buy or sell that day and you don't get the price, you don't even see the price again until the next January 1st. If you're willing to do that, buy the stock. If you're not, don't. Because transaction costs. Now, this has maybe changed as time's gone on. But back in the you know, 90s, the transaction costs were humongous. So that's why most of the time mutual funds with any load are horrible. And that's why Vanguard has done so well. If you, all you do is get down the, um, the VIG, <laughs> right, is you do so much better. The, the American economy in general goes up. 
Now, two things about that. One, I remember the stock market was 3600 and nine, I think it was 92 and I was in that class and I said, "We're it's overpriced." I just I have felt like the market's been overpriced all but maybe t- uh, 2 years in the last 20 years. Mm. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so to me, well, I guess more than 20 years, 25 years. So to me, that's a sign of a couple things. I'm wrong. But I also think it might be I'm wrong to I'm not, which is the basic premise is we always go back and talk about, oh, look, it's 11% over this many years. But remember, before like 1988, like like right before the big crash, you know, Black Friday in 88, which was the big 700-point loss, but the Dow was only like 2,000 or whatever, is... The only people that really invested were really rich people. And then some retirement accounts. You know, if you just said who was investing in the market. Now, imagine something where you're bidding for a car. And the only people that went are dealers. Like, you hear about those dealer auctions. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, man, I bet there's some deals there, right? Because not that the dealers don't know what they're doing. They know more than anyone probably. But it's it's... Even better if it's a, like a limited, like, oh, it's a family estate sale, but you got to get an invite. Like, the theory is the people buying are limited, right? Is there's just not the whole, the, the whole universe of buyers isn't out there. So it's almost like if you, um, huh. let's say that you were, you know, this is kind of funny, like an old school, well, I guess it's still the case sometimes. I shouldn't say funny, but like, let's say that you were selling a house. And you said, I'm not going to sell to any black people. I hate black people. I'm not going to sell to any black people. Well, all of a sudden now, if if the neighborhood, let's say, had, um, you know, let's say the odds would be 50%, let's say, that someone who would buy your house would be black. All of a sudden now, you, you've said, I'm eliminating half the buyers. Well, what would happen to the price of your house? It would go down in theory because you don't have as many people competing for it, right? Sure. So that's why it's always funny when you hear about, again, I'm using funny because it's such a, a crutch for me to use say that. But like when you hear about companies that are racist or sexist, they're actually hurting themselves, right? In theory, if that person, man, woman, whatever, minority, if they're the better hire and you say I'm not hiring them because it's a woman, well, those companies actually don't, you know, will suffer in the long run. Now, I'm not saying it's okay. I'm not saying let them only get their comeuppance that way, but I'm saying they are hurting themselves, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, I mean, I listen, I could have discriminated against your pompadour, Steve. I didn't do that. <laughs> I mean, it was like, whatever, man. Six so, foot five. <laughs> so anyway, to make a long story short, is in the time since... It's been more and more and more and more people that's investing. So whatever, the the P.E. ratios used to be like 9 or 10 price to earnings in the early 80s. Now P.E.s, now listen, if it's a growth company, it's a different story. But the P.E.s are like, you know, an average P.E. That's interesting. Can you look up and see what the average P.E. is right now? In In 2019, it was 20. Wow. Okay. Now, did you know that from memory? No, I just Googled it. Oh, okay, cool. No, I was just, I didn't know that if, if you had, you know, followed the investments like that. So literally, and I don't know, could you just look at 1980? I'm guessing it was 10. It'd Because I remember 12 used to be the threshold we used to think, you know, in, in these classes used to think about. Ooh, 7.4. 
Now think about that a second. Why would earnings be triple as valuable? Really what we're saying is every seven years, whatever you pay for the stock, you in seven years it would have earned that much money. And now it takes 20 years. Why? It's just because not only do you have schmoes, you know, and again, I would be a schmo at this. I'm a square. When it, I mean, again, my finance classes from, uh, you know, 25 years ago do not make me sharp, right? I know more than the average person about finance, but it's not making me ready to go compete with the hedge funds, I promise. So to me, you get schmoes involved that think they can pick stocks. And then, and again, it's, listen, you got schmoes picking games, but usually it's fun money, right? It's not their investments. And if you do, the worst thing to be is an investor in, in sports betting when you're not, where you think you are, right? If, you're, if you know it's fun, have fun. If you know it's an investment, you better, or if you think it's an investment, you better prove it to yourself. The, the, the middle ground is dangerous. And I'm, Steve, you've probably seen that a bunch, right? Oh, absolutely. And how many experts have we seen come out seemingly from nowhere, RJ, that are advertising themselves as professional sports bettors, and you wonder whether they've even actually bet themselves. Yeah, but that's, that was the case in the 80s, too. Yeah. I mean, it's just, listen, anytime there's a new medium to promote, you're going to get that type. I'll tell you this, net-net, there's more to gain from Twitter than the negative side. There's a lot of sharp people out on Twitter. I mean, it's usually niche, and you got to find them. But if you tell me you want to find you know, you want me to find you someone who really understands punting at altitude, they're there, and they're usually guys that are you know graduate student or gals but you know in sports usually guys graduate students who just you know I, Carnegie Mellon has a whole kind of group of these stats people that came out of there, and they're part of a collective. I mean there there is some really good stuff out there. And then you got the, the people, and it's funny. It feels like the market is weeded through a lot of that Twitter scam stuff. I'm not saying no one gets scammed, but it's like there's so much good stuff. If someone just shows up with a bunch of bragging, it maybe worked five years ago. It doesn't really seem to work anymore. And again, I'm not saying that I don't know how much it works. I just know they never get big enough for me to even notice. Right? I mean, sure. do, do you really notice these people? No. I mean, today, I'm not saying years ago. I just see a lot of people that talk about how. Or oh, is this one of those ones where it's a, a true wise guy, and you're saying, ah, he doesn't really know what he's talking about, and they're hearing you and going, he doesn't really know what he's talking. Is it one of those? I just know uh-huh. that it's, it's every now and then you see promotions and the like that are like really, really good. That anyone that knows what they're doing betting, they they're they're going to be there, and there aren't that many people there. But this is a whole different thing. You're saying a promotion like. Um, oh, you're getting a refund on your horses, and all you got to do is bad day. Like you're talking about these advantage players. Well, yeah, like twenty, like ten years ago, the Green Valley Ranch had a, a no vig day where they didn't charge any vig. Okay. And you would think every single was that the end of the story. You would well, just think every single serious better in the state would have congregated upon the Green Valley Ranch, and there was about eighty guys there. And how long were you there? I was there the the day that was there. You were just there for 24 hours. I, I was there most of the day betting. Yes, till I ran out of money. How long did it take you to bet? I'm confused. Like how? I mean, like I totally get you would bet your whole card, but how many games were, did you bet? How long would it take to bet those? Well, they the lines were moving, so guys would lay six and a half minus 100, and they'd move to seven. So you bet everything that you thought, and you were hoping for a half point move that would move it just into 53 and a half percent. Exactly. Yes. Okay. 
Um, listen, here's what we know. People are very lazy. I mean, and it's funny. They'll do a ton of work in one regard, and then they won't do a little bit of extra work, even though that extra work could make them more than, let's say, five times as much effort in what they typically do. And I fall into that sometimes. If I'm in a routine, I'll do hard work. If there's something that's outside of my routine, just like we said about the luck sheet, the amount of effort it would have taken for me to engage with that sheet was well worth it. It just wasn't. But I would spend an hour and a half researching one small point. So it's like, I think it's routine. And maybe I'm excusing it because I probably would fall prey to that too. Yeah, it's a good point. When I'm in my office, I'm sitting in my chair in front of my monitors. It's deadly when I like, oh, I'll just go and watch 10 minutes of this game on my couch. It's like, don't do it, Fez. Don't do it. <laughs> All right. So now, boring. So now, <laughs> we got to get a drop of some like sm- smart alecky kid saying that. That would work. <laughs> get some uh, kids to record it. <laughs> you know, actually, Sleepy's daughter did some great. You know, she's the one that said, me, me, me. I've got like six or seven of her drops. We got to start unroll- unveiling those too. It's, they're all really at Fez. I mean, it's like, come on, Fez, she kept saying. (laughs) It's great. She has such a cute voice, too. All right. I know Sleepy listens. I'm just, you know. But it's true, actually. Sleepy added, you know, puts together, you know, the, uh, you know, puts in the song. I mean, Sleepy does the work, too, after it's done. So he's listening. He's a great guy. Oh, my God. Marine, Army, serve the country, loyal friend. All right. Enough, you think? Yeah. Fez is like he's not doing me any good he moved from Vegas why would I even say anything everyone loves Sleepy except you don't because you're not making any money off no Sleepy helps me make money (laughs) somehow from Pennsylvania he helps you make money (laughs) I'm you know I'm not surprised actually I don't want to hear about it though all right next up we talked about him he's Tommy the Hitman why do they call him the Hitman well you figure it out he weighs 145 pounds he's 5'11 He's 27 years old or so, and they call him the hitman. And I, I don't can't imagine him throwing a punch. That means he's hitting the bookie. Let's listen. Best bet, Sony Michelle under 924 rush yards. When you're making any of these type of bets, typically you want to look unders just because of injuries first off and second off because books are going to look to inflate the numbers because the casual bettors typically look to bet overs on these players. Sony Michelle is coming off the worst season of his two-year career, averaging only 3.7 yards per carry and ranking 32nd in elusive rate out of 42 running backs last season. Plus, he got the fact that Sony's only missed three games in his two-year career, but he did come out of the draft having a degenerative knee condition where a lot of teams thought that he wasn't even going to make it to his second contract. So we could definitely see Sony having a drop-off similar to what Todd Gurley had, and we might have already seen that from his second season going into his third season. Plus, Sony Michel is one of the most game flow dependent backs in the entire league. He just doesn't play on passing downs, and the Patriots are projected to be a worse team this year, meaning that they're going to be trailing more, meaning that they will not be running the ball as much as last season. I like this bet all the way down to 850, and if Sony does happen to miss a few games, we're going to cash this one easily. Best bet, Sony Michel under 924 rush yards. Okay, I've delayed this the best I can. Hitman, good stuff there. 
Faz, are you in the lead? I have taken the lead in the poker match. Give me the facts. Facts are we're an hour and a half in to play. All right, and remember, what is it, three hours I win? Six hours. Oh, my gosh. Clock right. strikes midnight. So, actually, what we're saying here is an hour and a half in, there's not even one of the three saddled. So, if we get to two, we're not looking so bad. Okay, go ahead. All right, here's the chip So, count. just to redo the bat, McKenzie, explain the bat. So, it's a heads-up poker match between me and Fez. And Fez was so confident that he would beat me so easily that we actually made it best of three, and he, he has six hours. Well, first of all, let's make out. something clear. I negotiated the deal. You did. So we, when you say we, I'm not sure if you're calling, giving me the royal we. You know, my pronouns are he. <laughs> so um, I don't. But however that works, he, him. I think he was proper here. Yes. Yeah. Well. Yeah. We're, but the. And here's why it even happened. It was somehow Fez got lost. He got dazed. I don't know if he was doing whippets or what. He got dazed. And he was condescending to me about my poker game. Upon reflection, he realized that was foolish. I could have punished him for that. But he wouldn't have bet enough to make it worth my time to be candid. So, because you know he'd be arguing about everything. I mean, oh, God, I'm sure there's a lot of that going on. Is, Is there Hollywood? A lot of it. Yeah. <laughs> How'd I know? So I said even McKenzie might have a chance to beat you. Deep down, I didn't think so. But I wanted to humiliate him. But then I thought, you know, if I give McKenzie a way to win, so I don't want Fez to, like if something's almost a sure thing, you don't say lay 150. You try to find a way to make it where there's a path to victory. And to me, it was stall. Four court. You remember when they when North? I mean, this is kind of showing my age. I just remember this. And Steve, you probably weren't watching basketball because you couldn't make money at that point as a kid. But when Dean Smith's teams before the shot clock, there was always a point in the game where they decided to go to the four corners, and the the point guard would put up his fist, and it was like, uh oh, if you bet against North Carolina, you were in trouble. Yeah, Dean Smith invented the four corner. Thanks, Steve. So then. <laughs> <laughs> to me, I'm thinking four corners here. So, Mackenzie, for the video, I think, go back and look at the film. I think it was the fist. I can't remember, but I almost think it was. And then I think you should be doing that at various times just to psych him out. You like that? I like it. Like uh, Jordan and James Worthy in the 83 finals. A couple minutes left. We're up by four. Hey, hey, slow down, guys. We're good. Now, was that, they, there still wasn't a shot clock then? Not in college. Wow. That's insane. You could keep the ball the whole half. I mean, I guess it made it where you had to have some good defensive guards, right? But then there'd be five. They had those five-second calls, which you don't see those anymore. I don't even know if that's out of the rule book. A lot of teams, RJ, when they won the the um, the tip-off in overtime, would hold the ball the whole five minutes. Boy, that that sounds like a rule. That the fact it took them a long time to change that rule tells you how quick we iterate these days, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, imagine that. It sounds like soccer. So, in, in high school, they still don't have it. Derrick Rose in the Illinois championship game, it's overtime. They get the ball. He holds the ball for four minutes, scores, game over. I mean, that's impressive. It's just boring. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> but, but my question is, last thing for me on this, is w- there was a rule, I remember, you'd get five seconds. if It was like a quarter court kind of thing. 
and you had to go back and forth from it? I think you had to advance the ball within five seconds when being actively guarded. Okay. So is that still a rule? Not in the NBA. But it is in college. Yes, in high school. No. (laughs) (laughs) I just know that because that got called a couple times. I know, but I said, but is it in college? You said yes in high school. Oh, I'm sorry. So what is the answer? Or do you know? If you don't know, that's fine. Look it up. But I'm saying, did you meant to say? Did you mean to say high school? Or did you mean to say college? Yes, and in and in high school. I meant to say yes, and in high school. Okay, so college and high school. Okay, cool. Um, he, the rule is there's a thousand dollars bet. Now initially, I put up five hundred, and I go to McKenzie into putting five hundred, but he seemed to want to, so that was fine. But then. He, he made a real mistake. I can't remember what it was. I don't care. And it got me mad. So I said, you know something? You take, I'll take keep 200 just for solidarity, but you need to take that 800. I don't want to even hear the mistake. It made me mad. I don't want to hear it again. But So now it's McKenzie and Fez has an $800 bet. I've got a $200 bet against Fez. And there's two ways for us to win. One way is McKenzie wins two out of three. The other way is that six hours passes without a result. And there's no stalling during the game. So the four corners is, is playing conservative, you know, more than, you know, you're taking 30 seconds to figure out a simple hand. We don't want that. So how are you feeling, Fez, right now? What did you look? Do you feel like this is just randomness or do you feel like you've got a feel of his game? Oh, I've got a feel for his game. Okay. So, Mackenzie, I just gave you the answer. If that's true. And he said that quick. I can tell Steve he believes that. So you need to change it up. I mean, I don't know why he's telling us, but thank you. You need to change <laughs> it up. All right. What do you think of McKenzie's level of variance um, or, or, let's say, uh, aggression? I think he has the right amount of aggression. All right. So that means you don't have the right amount, exactly. McKenzie. So I, <laughs> I think, now let's think about this. He's worried about you slowing down. You know how I know that? Because when we were walking out of the office, or he was walking out social distance, he goes, yeah, I think I've got to start, because we talked, we talked about the 90 minutes had passed, he goes, i got to start increasing variance. So now if he's thinking he wants to increase variance, see, every word you say, Steve, goes into my brain. If he thinks he has increased variance, then he certainly wants you to. So if he's telling you you're doing it um, just right, that means he's afraid. He knows you're not going to increase it because we're talking about four corners. So he's worried about you slowing down. So you need to play less hands. Dan Harrington. Does that feel right? Does that feel right? Yeah, absolutely. I'm. I'm a little. Uh, I'm a little surprised. I, I kind of had that in my back pocket, but now. Uh, now. Now Fez is aware of it. He's trying to prevent you from doing it. He's aware of. It. You're not going to outsmart him. Right. You need me to help you do that. But <laughs> but really, you don't even need to do that because I don't I'm not helping really. I mean, I am here a little, but I, it's because I set up the right deal. We have a chance to win. It's listen, we're still probably small underdogs. Right. I, I think I'm going to win. I think I'm going to win one. And then that's make- why everyone yep. goes broke. <laughs> I have no doubt you think you're going to win. Right. I thought he was going to win the last 30 bets against yeah. me. <laughs> I mean, that's the point. Everyone thinks they're going to win. That's why they bet. Mackenzie, who has all the $1 chips right now? Every single one. What does that you mean? Do. Uh, yeah, what does it mean? I, what does it mean? You're, you're scooping up a lot of pots. Is that what it is? Mackenzie's getting run over already. He's being uh, and, and so the theory is, 
and here's the thing. He's trying to make you feel like you got to stop him, which means increasing your variance. Don't you see this? This is so obvious. And the funny thing about it is that he's going to say, if he actually extended this, he would say, and here's the thing. When he does get it in, he gets it in good. But he's got to keep winning those. And he's got to win more than the optimal amount in order to just to stay even. And all it takes is me hitting one twenty percenter, and then he's stuck. Right, Steve? Correct. <laughs> yeah, he's right. But you know what? That doesn't account for the six-hour clock. This has all been thought through. It's almost like it's happened already. I just haven't taken the time to figure out what's going to happen because I know he's going to win. Well, <laughs> well, Mackenzie did let me know that he once folded Queens, so he is a he's a oh, fearful you know what's player. Sad? I was so happy. That you day. know what's sad is he thought that he was proving to you how good of a player he was. Exactly. But he was giving you information. Yep. Ugh. The guy flipped over Kings. It was a good day. I like Pump Fist. Everyone in the area. Well, first off, it's not Queens. like you could never fold Queens. What was the scenario? I would fold Queens a lot. Exactly. So he was the position right behind me. I had raised it. He raised it to 50, and I folded. <laughs> you notice he said the position right behind me. He didn't tell you his position. I don't have position. the lingo. I don't have the lexicon. Yeah. Hold on a second. So he, he was after you, right? So he yeah. had he, he, All right. So he had position on you. Right. And the only two people in the hand ultimately were you two. And it was one, two, no limit. Yes. And you came in for what? Uh, four, six, whatever? It was, like, it was like 12. Someone had raised five. I Wait. raised 12. Oh, 12. Okay, yep. okay, okay. So I was saying you're going, tw- you know, six acts on the open. All right. So so five, and, and boy, that's a weird bet. So that's actually, what, in fact, that's a horrible bet with queens because with queens, you actually want to divide stuff up. You want to get rid of ace, king. You. Uh, to me, I'm worried. Like, fast. To me, queens are aggressive hand, right? You almost don't mind winning it before. You don't mind being the pusher in that case, right? Depends on obviously. Well, you got you know an edge this. against everything but ace king. You, you know all this, RJ. It depends on your position well, and the, yeah. Who that you're means we don't against. talk about anything then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Understood. But in general. I don't slow play queens. Yeah, and when I re-raise, there's two over cards. Yes, and when I'm re-raising, if someone puts it puts in five, I'm making it like eighteen, not. 12. Well, no, you're you're making a forty because all because you're short stacked is what you're doing. <laughs> but anyway, so now it goes from five to twelve, and what does he make it? Fifty. And how deep was he? Uh, he he, co- he had me covered. And I, how deep were you? About three hundred. Holy cow. Wow. He had, oh, so you had six acts after, you know, so you had 250 after the call. And, and was he really tight? He was. All right. Yeah, I fold that. Now, I'll tell you this. I, I, I call the 50 without thinking if, I, if it's a push. Well, at that point, if you both, have fi- you both had 500, Mackenzie? Yeah, you're out of position. You can set mine. Yeah, but if it's someone, but here's the thing: if you're out of position and there's someone tight, you that never works. Or it works, but you just don't get paid right. right. So in a weird way, the inclination to set mine. Ah, uh, yeah, because he won't put a stack in. Yeah, I mean, yeah. He's, those are the guys that won't go broke with yeah, aces. Yeah, that's a good point. So that's why you didn't want to play me. You know, you know what <laughs> I'm gonna do? Here's the question: We'll tease this for next week, and this will be it. If Fezzik wins, I'll play him. But we got to decide on an amount that's worth it. And I'm going to tell you right now, I want to make, here's the catch 22. I don't want to play too long, but I don't want there to be too much variance or, or luck, randomness. So I got to think 3,000. 
So let's just say this. For 2500 I would play the same terms but no six-hour deal, right? We're heads up. And next week you'll tell us if you take the offer. And that's it. There's no other negotiations. You don't get the break and the A. Oh, wait, that's pull. But the fact of the matter is, we'll see. We'll see. And uh, if anyone wants to bet me, he's going to say no. <laughs> I'll, be, I, I, uh, I, I'll take the no. Let's just say that. All right, Mackenzie, what's your chance to win right now, you think? You know, I'm always optimistic. All right, so let's give it two numbers. What's your chance to win where you beat them two out of three? Okay. Let's start there. I'd say I got about a 40% chance to do that. All right. So if I gave you plus 150, you'd love that, right? Yeah. How much you want to bet? Wait, so if, if the clock runs out, does, do I lose the one th- on the plus 150? No, you guys are going to play it out anyway. Oh, either way? Yeah. Okay, yeah, I'll take plus 150 on that. Wow, he's taking plus 150. What do you think of that, Steve? Well, I should say the clock is not going to run out. Well, first off, you have no idea if the clock's going to run out. Well, I'll go all in every hand. If yeah, I and then and and there might be enough. To, and then, do you really act like that's some panacea? Is is all it's going to take is for him to then have? It's like playing AC Ducey. Right? You ever play AC Ducey? Yeah. All right. So what do you do? Do you do you always bet the 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 pot when you have nine? You know. Um, uh, what are there, 15 cards, right? Or uh, 10, and then there's, uh, what is there, 14 cards, right? Times four, no, there's 15 cards. What am I thinking? I'm thinking I'm of the AC Ducey being like, you got a king and a two, and you got to go in between. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But 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 hold on a second. Somehow I'm having trouble remembering that the there's 13 two cards. Th- okay, so there's two through 10, right? I got that part. And then there's the, the four-face card, or the three-face cards in the ace. All right. Whew. It's been a long day. Sorry about that. Is is the um, yeah? So when you would play AC Ducey, which was a fun game as kid, you know, high school, whatever, is when you had a, a, a over fifty percent bet. Did you bet the pot? Yeah, I'd bet the max. And yeah. no matter, even if it was just like uh, two through nine or whatever. Yeah, if I had seven, if seven cards were going to win, I'd do it. Yeah. Well, then you weren't betting any real money. How much were you? Oh, we were. I was playing quarters. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, I've seen AC Ducey games where you were playing one-two limit. I mean, this is high school kind of mm-hmm. stuff, and someone lose like 140 bucks at AC Ducey. Sure. So the I've never seen anyone play, myself included, where when they have like don't bet like if they have just a you know if they're below 50, the idiots will sometimes have a feeling, right? Okay. And and if somehow you were counting cards, I guess you could think of for so many great hands coming, you know, I don't know. Maybe it made sense. I didn't ever get it. But then if you had an edge and let's just say there was uh, 40 bucks in the pot, people would bet five if they had the smallest edge. And the theory being is this Kelly style. Why You would max bet no matter what if you had the smallest edge. Yeah. That makes no sense. Do you see that? I wouldn't be betting enough. That I, I guess what you're saying is... If you're if, not if, betting enough to care about the money, you're not betting. I, I, I hear what you're saying, that if you said, well, if you go bust, you don't get to play the, that game anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. and plus you go bust. You're a kid, the theory is. Yeah, right? it's, a good, it's a good point, because the second that I overbet my... If I overbet my bankroll and I lose my $100, now I lose all these great opportunities when a queen and a three flop because I'm out of the game. That's I wanted point. nothing more than people to do that, because it was the chance to actually get a real pot going. Mm. 
So my point is this. If you just think of it like this and say, when I'm in the 75th percentile, I'm going to push back at him. Then, yeah, you're right. You can guarantee the clock won't run out, but you'd be playing so suboptimally at that point that he would have a bigger edge than the clock would give you. I, I, of course. and I reckon So then you're acting like the clock won't run out because of that, but that won't stop it. It's a sliding scale. The deeper we go, the, the more... Uh, Understood. Gotta, yeah. The more suboptimally you play. That's right. And that was the beauty of the bet. And, and, and I'll, i got to be honest. I think I'm playing optimally for my game, and I've already... How could you think otherwise? Yeah. Well, now, after an hour and a half have gone by, I said to myself, you know what? I think that last 20 minutes I played wasn't optimal anymore because now I'm under five hours. So, and, and plus, it's on your mind. And, and so I'm thinking, ah. You would have felt like you had the world on a string. No if more min no, raises. If it, was, if it was no clock, you would have felt like you had the world on a string. Yes. Imagine I could create a situation that McKenzie, and again, he's got a lot of good qualities. He's not a poker player. McKenzie, he, he quit one, two because he was losing. Let's be candid, right, McKenzie? <laughs> I is, wasn't winning enough yeah. to make it worth it. <laughs> so the fact I could make a bet that you would take that probably gives us a fighting chance, I'm a hell of a matchmaker, Steve. I wish I had eight hours. I really <laughs> did. <laughs> All right, boy. So next week, we'll see if Fez wants to play me for 2500 same terms. And if he, but he has to beat McKenzie. If he doesn't beat McKenzie, I wouldn't deign to do it. Even even the twenty five hundred wouldn't make it. This worth is like it. a qualifier match to see if I'm even worth your time. And plus, I I don't know if you've noticed, I have every hand being taped. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think I, I, to, I think I, I would review. I think I would review those tapes. I haven't even gotten to see McKenzie's hole cards, and there's I believe he's been doing some review of of my play. And you won't have ever seen my play. Nope. Uh-huh. But I guess since I know you're I, I should have kind of waited, but I know you would say no anyway. But, you know, I have an edge. Speaking of that, Hollywood, did we put a video out? We have a video that will be ready tomorrow morning. All right. So we had – did the original one go out? Yes, the original one went out. Okay. So did you tweet that out, Fez? Yes, we did. Who's, how, how's, who's the we in this case? Uh, Mackenzie's the we. Okay. So, Fez, did you tweet it out? Yes, because I gave direction to the boys that as soon as it was available, they've got access to my Twitter to send it. Okay, so then if you say something that's crazy, why, that's you can why say it was answer. hacked, too. Yeah. But just to be clear, because I've never had your Twitter. I'm just saying, because I, I don't like, um, like, to me, I want people to know that it's the person tweet. So in this case, you're saying um, mechanically, you know, hey, get this out early. I appreciate that you did that. But we've not, I mean, unless I'm mistaken, I know I've never sent a tweet for you. Pregame's never sent a tweet for you before, except for that. Is that, that correct, or have we? We have on the Saturday night show when I'm on. Okay. While, yeah. while I'm on air, uh, Mackenzie always sends out, hey, Fez is on. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's that, and is that it? That's it. So let's make it only, like, let, let's make it where if there's no personality to it and it's like, hey, check this link out, it was, it's probably you, but it's a chance you're, you know, you're getting help. But I hate it when you hear, like, so-and-so, well, he didn't tweet that. It's like you, no one has my Twitter account. If I tweet something, it's me. Yeah, and those are the only times that that happens. Is yeah, I'm just saying. Yeah. is is It's just, it's you, right? Good yes. or bad, it's you, right? Yeah. So I think it's good, but, you know. All right, boys, it was, uh, it meandered, but I, I enjoyed it, right? So everyone gets to decide how deep they go. We'll be back next week. we got a lot of interesting stuff next week, including those shocking numbers. We went through, uh, I think we've gone through everything, right? 
is next week we'll get Fez talking about his criminal activities with his nine-year-old son. That's next week. So there's something else to look forward to. Talk to you then.